Shivani. We are less now than one week away from WCW's fall brawl featuring War Games, where it will be WCW against the NWO. But after last week, Larry, there is no doubt in my mind the balance of power has swung now to the New World Order. Power, that's the key word. They have power in leadership, and I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but along with Mr. DiBiase's financial backing, they now have power in numbers, the giant being the biggest traitor since Benedict Arnold. Last week, as you talked about... Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how you doing this week? I, I didn't think of the Giant being the biggest trader since Benedict Arnold. Wow. Yeah, that's I mean, that covers a lot of history right there. <laughs> sure does. Uh, but no, I'm doing I'm doing good. Uh, since we last recorded our like big four part year spectacular, yeah, uh, I actually started working. So hey, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. That's nice. <laughs> so it's nice to be getting up and out of the house a little bit, and uh, and actually the thing that's nice is like I I can like go back to appreciating weekends for being weekends and not right. just like day number like thirty ninth <laughs> and fortieth off. So. Uh, no, I'm doing I'm doing good, and I'm looking forward to the show tonight. I'm doing good as well. Uh, it is Memorial Day today. We're recording er, er, in the morning, which is unusual for us, but mm. uh, no reason to be out and about because it is hot yeah. here in Minneapolis. Uh, the past few days have been in the 90s, and uh, I know you guys are thinking, oh, Minnesota, you've probably never seen the 90s before. No, it, I mean, it gets pretty hot here, uh, but this time of year, this is pretty unusual. This is not May weather. Right. Uh, so, you know, welcome to the horrifying future of planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't wait for this to be what February is when we get oh, to God. when we get to the like last episodes of Nitro, since I'll be like 40 years in the future <laughs> or whatever. Uh, also, I'm just happy to be alive because my entire family, this entire household has been sick over the last week. Uh, I thought I was dying last night. I w- wasn't sure. Then I went to bed at like seven, just fever, chills, stomach mm. cramps, just feeling awful. And then woke up at like 10.30 and was like, well, I feel fine. And now I'm just awake. So then I couldn't get back to sleep. Right. Uh, But doing much better today. Happy to be with you. Happy to get another episode out. And this is a huge one. We've got just an absolutely huge angle uh, as we head into Fall Brawl. But we're going to get into all that. Before we do, though, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. I do want to say that we, uh, as part of kind of our four-episode thing where we were just kind of doing a big celebration, it kind of uh, it caused a lot of you to reach out over Twitter, Facebook, um, and just kind of say hello and say that you've been enjoying the show, and we really appreciated that. And I really wanted to give a special, specific shout-out to Richard Cunningham of Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, he's a postman. He actually emailed us at the Gmail, and uh, I shared the email with you before. Yep. Um, just he, he says as he's out delivering the, the post, the mail, whatever you want to call it, that uh, that he listens to podcasts all day. I try to do that at my work as well. And uh, he just said how much he enjoys the show. Uh, really meant a lot uh, hearing from you, Richard, and, and just everybody out there. So thanks a lot to all of uh, everyone that's listening. It, it really was a lot of fun for us to get that kind of feedback from you guys. 
Yeah, I mean, um, you've mentioned before as far as, uh, I think, is it iTunes that shows you what different countries are listening in? Uh, SoundCloud, where SoundCloud. we do our hosting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, it, and it's one thing just to kind of, like, see that as a list, but right. to, to hear from someone, like, it gives you a little bit more perspective of, like, wow, someone, like, halfway across the planet is listening to our show on right. a regular basis. Right. Like, that's really cool. And, and I know that I said during our, like, one-year anniversary that, um, I really like, I really appreciate the, the people that are listening on a, on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like he's one of them. So I, and I really appreciate the, uh, the note as well. I thought it was really cool. And it's like, it's things like that that make me realize like, this is like a pretty, a pretty good positive thing that we're doing for other wrestling fans. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking over the last, uh, 30 days. We've had listeners from Guildford, uh, which is in the United Kingdom. A lot of American cities, Philadelphia, Albuquerque, St. Louis, London, Helensvale, Australia, that's always cool. Mm. Uh, Toronto, Canada, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I got to admit to kind of going through this list probably more than I should, looking oh. at the stats <laughs> and just thinking how nut- nutty it is that people are, are <laughs> listening from uh, that far away. So just a sincere thank you to all of you. But of course you don't uh, listen to hear us j- jerk each other off over, <laughs> <laughs> over our dozens and dozens of fans worldwide. Right. Uh, so we do want to get to the show and to that effect today is monday september 9th 1996 and we are coming to you live from the columbus civic center in columbus georgia in front of six thousand fans uh don't know how many papered but i do know that the total gate was around fifty four thousand dollars this is episode 52 of wcw monday nitro and it is the go home show for fall brawl 1996 where the nwo will face the wcw team of sting luger rick flair and arn anderson in a war games match we also know that on that show, Randy Savage will face the Giant. Rey Mysterio will defend his cruiserweight title against Super Chloe. Diamond Dallas Page will take on Chavo Guerrero. And the Harlem Heat will put up their tag team titles when they face the Nasty Boys. Yeah, I don't know if that's some, if this, this is something you note later on, but uh, Tony Giovanni makes a good point about how the Giant, even though he's now a member of the New World Order, does not qualify for the for the main event, yeah, he's came. already got that match against yeah. Savage, which was set up originally because Savage was just disappointed that the Giant didn't stop Hogan at Hog Wild, mm-hmm. and he thought like I better beat you up over it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So if the, I mean, if this was something where they like really planned ahead and made sure that he had a match before they mm-hmm. put him in the NWO, I was like, I thought that was pretty well done, right? Because like, obviously, I. I think overloading it with having the giant in that big like cage match as well. Yeah. Might've been a little bit much, especially since it's like they already have Hogan and the outsiders in it. So, right. So that's a good point. We've got Hogan, the outsiders, the NWO are still missing a fourth member. That pay-per-view is six days away. So, you know, hopefully we'll get some movement, some traction tonight and figure out how that team's going to shake out. Yeah. And, and without, without saying as much like the NWO are pretty much like, yeah, the Giants not going to be able to be in this. And that's kind of how they, they treat it the whole time. So Now, before we get into this week, I want to add some information onto last week's Nitro that I'd found after we'd already released and edited that episode. Uh, and it's kind of funny. The show ended minutes early as a combination huh. of factors. So Scott Steiner's hip injury, so they did a very short match, as you might recall, uh, the 32nd uh, disqualification thing with Nick Patrick. Oh, sure. Uh, Randy Savage versus Ron Studd went short for whatever reason. And they failed to, they just screwed up and didn't make up the time in the eight-man main event. So they ended the show minutes early, which is pretty funny because Hulk Hogan kept interrupting the Giants promo, as you may recall, which mm-hmm. almost seemed like he was trying to, like, hurry it along. It was it was a combination of him trying to get focus on himself, yeah. but also seemed like he was like, guys, we got to just, like, blow through this. But they didn't. 
ending early actually costs them rating points because of the way that it's like averaged out over a two hour period. Oh. So it made the rating appear lower than it was. Uh, so it's just baffling that Hogan kept interrupting Giant and really cut off his entire promo about why the Giant did what he did. Uh, you might remember at the very end of that, the Giant tried to keep talking, but Hogan literally just flipped over the table yes. and they threw down yep. the mics and stuff. Mm-hmm. That was an unplanned spot that caused $40,000 worth of damage to the Nitro set. <laughs> so they ended the show early cost ratings and literally cost the company tens of thousands of dollars that's <laughs> considering the like the quality that that desk looks like yeah that's that's ridiculous i'm assuming it's mostly the electronics and stuff no uh, sure. not yeah not the desk i would assume <laughs> but who knows Secondly, uh, we neglected to mention last week that Lex Luger lost the WCW television title to Lord Steven Regal on the August 31st episode of Saturday Night. Now, hopefully you can forgive us for failing to mention it because nobody on Nitro mentioned it at all. Yeah, I mean, and they haven't mentioned Luger being that champion for weeks. Yeah. So So he lost the title on Saturday night, August 31st, when the Outsiders interfered, allowing Regal to pick up the victory. Now, we have talked in previous episodes about how they were planning on putting a title on Regal uh, right before he was going on some international tours, Mm -hmm. and they were going to send a crew with him to film the matches and put him on WCW shows. Uh, If they're putting those matches on, they're certainly not on Nitro. Now, it might be on the syndicated shows. I'm not sure. Uh, but here on Nitro, we have nary a mention of his lordship and his uh, third television title reign. Right. Now, lastly, before we get into this episode, I want everyone to know that uh, Dave and I are hashtag all in. Uh, we are going to be going to the all in events this uh, summer in Chicago. I will be checking out some of the events at StarCast. I think you're a little less interested in that. I don't know if you picked up a, a wristband or anything. I got mine. I, I did not know. Uh, so I will be at StarCast. Um, I want to check out some of those things like the death of WCW panel and uh, the Monday Night Wars debate. Um, we might try to make it over to this. I know you're going to try to make it to the CM Punk autograph signing. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be there along with uh, another friend of ours, uh, Neil friend of the show Mm -hmm. and your brother john so looking forward to that so if you are going to be at all in just live in the chicago area or whatever uh hit us up on twitter send us an email or something and and let's see if we could uh you know get some kind of hangout going that'd be fun while we're in the area yeah that'd be cool all right well that finally brings us to nitro tonight where we are welcome to the show by a jacked up tony shivani who seems to be feeding off of what sounds like a very hot crowd tony looks a little silly he's wearing a double-breasted navy blue suit over a white banded collar shirt uh, it's kind of a nice look, but he normally like he normally dresses down so much that seeing him dressed up this week was like off putting. Yeah, just pick a pick a style and stick with it, please. <laughs> Larry has on a black sport coat over a Hawaiian shirt, which oh. is also a look. <laughs> <laughs> Tony says the balance of power has shifted to the NWO, and Larry agrees, saying that they have the leadership, the financial backing of Ted DiBiase, the strength of the Giant, who is the biggest trader since Benedict Arnold. Uh, which seems like kind of an overstatement since Hulk Hogan is also in the NWO. Right, yeah. I thought I thought that was maybe a little bit over the top, especially considering, like, it's not the biggest, like, um, person defection right. to the NWO. <laughs> we see replays of last week's events, though they end before the giant chokeslam the Barbarian. Uh, Tony says that we will have... Tony says that we still have unanswered questions because we know the NWO will be sending four men into the cage for War Games this Sunday at Fall Brawl, but we still don't know who they will be. As Dave pointed out, uh, Tony tells us that the Giant has a match against Randy Savage, and it seems unlikely that he will also be in War Games. We then head to the ring where Dave Penzer introduces Pat Tanaka. 
Now, this is, of course, our second time seeing Tanaka on the show. Uh, the first being when he inexplicably portrayed El Gato at the <laughs> Great American Bash. <laughs> so this time he's actually just as uh, himself at Tanaka. Of course, he's announced as being from Tokyo rather than his actual home of Honolulu. So he gets roundly booed for being an evil Japanese guy. Right. I, I really I was enjoying how like cocky he was looking when he was walking down to the ring. Yes. Especially since, you know, he wakes up being Pat Tanaka every day. <laughs> <laughs> now he gets a ton of booze and it kind of drowns out the theme song that he was coming out to. Did you happen to catch what it was though? No. He came out to what would become Goldberg's theme song. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, something that was in the Turner Library already. And before it was given to Goldberg, they gave it to Pat Tanaka. So the streak begins. <laughs> yeah, this this is canon now. <laughs> His opponent is out next, and we're about to get our first taste of Super Kolo, who we mentioned last week has been announced as Rey Mysterio's opponent for the Cruiserweight title at the pay-per-view. And he has one of the most outstanding masks it's in incredible. wrestling history. Yes. Yeah, I'll talk about it here in his bio. Super Colo, real name Rafael Garcia, is a 25-year-old luchador from Guadalajara, Mexico. Like many luchadors, he's a legacy star and originally debuted using his father's ring name, working as Bello Greco Jr. Like some of the other lucha guys that we've talked about, he started very young, getting into the business at age 17. When AAA was founded in 1992, Garcia was signed and took on the Super Colo gimmick, a reference to the popular Mexican band Colo. He would frequently team with two other young Technico stars, one known as Winners, who later became known as Abismo Negro, hmm. and the other, Rey Mysterio Jr. In fact, Rey's first match was partnering with Winners and Colo. They feuded with a trio of Rudos known as Los Diablicos. Uh, so the babyfaces... They feuded with a trio of Rudos known as Los Diablicos, with the babyfaces one by one winning mask versus match matches until all the Diablicos were unmasked. Uh, of course, Kolo has been brought into WCW through Conan, who is kind of the guy bringing a lot of these guys in. Kolo's mask is <laughs> one of my favorite wrestling masks ever. It is a silver mask with a large hole that lets all of his mouth and chin out. Um, similar to Ray's, so that you can kind of see a little more facial expression than you can with some other guys. Yeah. Uh, then it's got holes for his ears to stick out through, which is unique. Uh, the reason that, that kind of works, though, is that he has a hat as part of his mask, like a backwards Kangle hat. Mm -hmm. So it's important that the ears are there to make it look more like a real hat, I guess. Oh, and but also the sunglasses. Yes, and then <laughs> and then a pair of sunglasses are a part of the mask. They're yeah. like fabric sunglasses. It you have to just. Uh, Google uh, image search a picture of this guy if you've never seen him before. It's pretty amazing. His ring gear is also incredible. He's wearing black tights that stop at the knee uh, and a black short sleeve button-up shirt adorned with red lightning bolts that have neon yellow trim around them, and they're shooting through what appear to be uh, neon yellow compact discs. <laughs> I'm assuming that's because he's got like the kind of uh, the music gimmick with the band reference or whatever. Oh, sure. So for some reason, he's just got CDs with lightning bolts shooting through them all over yeah, his outfit. Yeah, so he's like some sort of like, like uh, Mexican wrestler DJ of <laughs> sorts. <laughs> It's weird, but I love it. I he looks just great. Yeah. It's hilarious. My my only knock against his whole getup is the fact that he is basically wearing biker pads. Oh sure. And biker pads they just kind of look cheap, a little cheap to me. But I mean, other than that, no, he like he has like a lot of charisma just based on his uniform, like his Absolutely. costume. That yeah, is, yeah, so. yeah. His uniform. Uniform. All right, you're a luchador. Here's your uniform. <laughs> 
Mike Tanay joins the broadcast team as the enthusiastic crowd cheers on Kolo as he flips his way into the ring. Tanay says this match is part of the ultra-competitive cruiserweight division, and there's no way that Tanaka weighs whatever it is a cruiserweight's supposed to. <laughs> right. But okay, fine. This is part of the cruiserweight division, I guess. The the And it is a competitive division, but it should be noted that Kolo has a title match having appeared on Saturday Night, like, twice. Right. He's been on, like, WCW Pro once, Saturday Night once, and he's got a title shot. <laughs> so it is a competitive division, but it's notable that if it's not Dean or Ray in the title match, it's just, like, whatever guy came up from Mexico that week. Yeah. Tanaka takes control early with a series of kicks and wrist locks. He whips Kolo into a corner and hits an elbow. Tanaka whips Kolo into the opposite corner, but Kolo climbs the ropes and comes off the top with a twist and crossbody. Kolo runs to another corner and essentially does the exact same thing, although this time it's more of a flying shoulder tackle than a crossbody. Kolo whips up the crowd and then comes off the ropes and hits an awkward clothesline that Tanaka does a flip bump for. And like other guys who have kind of a gut, like, say, uh, Rikishi, seeing a guy with a little bit of size to him do that flip bump from a clothesline mm -hmm. always looks really cool. Tanaka rolls to the outside, so Kolo flips over the top rope and hits him with a somersault senton. We then cut to some no-good teens in NWO t-shirts who are huddled outside the arena holding cardboard boxes and stacks of paper. Uh, Tony literally calls them youngsters, so yes. I'm not exactly afraid of these guys. <laughs> they're, they're just NWO teens. <laughs> and and over the, over the show when he's calling them youngsters... Some of them are, like, they have mustaches, <laughs> and, are, and they, they look a little bit older than youngsters. Back in the ring, Kolo is on the top rope and dives at Tanaka, who ducks, so Kolo deftly lands on his feet and rolls through, but is then caught by a kick to the face by Tanaka. Tanaka whips Kolo into the ropes, and they do some awkward rope running in near slow motion until Tanaka runs a crossbody. I, I think Tanaka is not, like, a bad wrestler. Uh, but Kolo's 25, so I don't know why they're running the rope so slow unless it's on Tanaka, just kind of being an older guy. Right. It was, I've never seen such, well, okay, that's an exaggeration. <laughs> I've infrequently seen such slow rope running. <laughs> uh, off the crossbody, Tanaka gets just a little bit more than a one count. Off the ropes again, Kolo goes for her Karana, but Tanaka turns it into a nice looking sit out powerbomb, which gets a big reaction from the crowd. Tanaka sets up Kolo on the top rope, and a really close camera angle shows just how awkwardly these two set up for a gut-wrench superplex from the second rope. It just takes them forever to get into position with, like, the, the waist lock. Mm -hmm. The idea is that Kolo is going to manage to hold on and twist in the right direction to land on Tanaka, but they don't get the positioning exactly right. And so the way this actually ends up looking is that Kolo hits his head on the mat, almost like Tanaka hit an accidental second rope DDT. Uh, I thought that Kolo was dead because it looks like he comes <laughs> off the top rope and just nails himself. Uh, but his head is on the other side of Tanaka's body, so you can't actually see it impact the ring. Mm -hmm. And by the fact that he doesn't have a broken neck, I'm going to guess that actually he didn't come into contact with the ring. It just looks terrible from the angle presented. Sure. It looks like it looks like he should be dead. It, it was <laughs> just awful. But he, in fact, is not dead. <laughs> Uh, that turns out to be the finish uh, literally out of nowhere. So Kolo gets the victory in about two and a half minutes. Uh, Kolo has appeared on a number of the syndicated weekend shows, but this is his debut for the wider WCW audience to see what he has to offer before his big title match on pay-per-view. So why the fuck is he giving 85% of his offense to Pat Tanaka? Yeah, it did not It did not seem to be a very good matchup. Um, cl pretty big clash of styles, which is unfortunate because yeah. this should really be a showcase of what Super Kalo can do um, going into his title match. So... 
you know, maybe it would have been better if he faced, you know, I don't know, the guy that Rey Mysterio faces tonight instead. Sure. Maybe someone that's a little bit more of a high flyer. Maybe maybe another Lucha guy. I mean, it seems like they've been bringing them up every week, so there should be someone available for him to wrestle instead of Pat Tanaka. It really felt like a modern WWE match in a bad way uh-huh. where, like, one guy gets all of the offense and then the other guy wins out of nowhere. Sure. So, like... You're left with one guy who, yeah, he looked impressive the whole match, but he lost. And another guy who, yeah, he won, but he got his ass kicked the whole match. Mm-hmm. So, like, nobody's over when you do that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I thought this was a disappointing match, unfortunately. Um, but, of course, Kolo's going in there with, you know, one of the greatest in-ring competitors as of 1996 at the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So, I'm still expecting a lot from their match on Sunday. Yeah. No, I, no there wasn't anything here that dissuaded me from, from Super Kolo. It was more like... Yeah, he's facing a guy that really wasn't willing to let him do his thing. We then cut to Mean Gene in the locker room, who is joined by the dog-faced gremlin himself, Rick Steiner. WCW Monday Nitro was on the air, and uh, once again, this referee, Nick Patrick, involved in a decision where Lex Luger got disqualified. You know, I had him. I had him. Gene, you seen it. You were there. I I I think I could have beat him. Well, I don't think it ever got around to that because he was disqualified taking that opportunity away. No, from I him. had him, Gene. Well, you're going to have a chance, of course, later on tonight to meet Lex Luger. As promised, we've been talking about that. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I, I believe Flash, there he is, Flash. Lex Luger. What? I, I, I had you beat Lex. You seen it. His partner, Sting, he was there. He, he seen it. I could beat you. S Sting. We're taking a look at that. Uh, my brother. Was my, my brother. Your brother's he, not he's here. He's in the baggie. Wait a minute. I, I, uh, what? Uh, come on here, Rick. You're getting a little confused. Uh, brother's not here. That's exactly right, Rick. You're a great tag team wrestler. And your brother probably the best ever, maybe. But this is singles wrestling night. I'm in the war games. I'm focused. I am going out there tonight, and I am going to be the total package. I could beat you. I could beat you. Rick. Sting. Rick. I'm oh, hold on. Just total a package second. tonight, and you're going down. I'm on top of my game. That's good for me. That's bad for you. Bad. It ain't bad for me. I can beat you. Uh, th- thank you very much, you Rick Steiner. You seen it, Dumb. Yep, yep. Uh, thank Dumb. you, Stick. Very good. Uh, I believe Lex Luger alluding to the fact there that maybe uh, Rick Steiner didn't have it upstairs. Who knows? Stay tuned. We've got more Nitro coming up when we return here on TNT. Gene asked Rick about last week when Nick Patrick was quick to call for the disqualification on Lex Luger after a minor and clearly unintentional collision between the two, right as Sting and Lex took on the Steiners. Rick is insistent that he had Lex right where he wanted it and was about to beat him anyway, which is hilarious. Yes. Because literally all that had happened was they had locked up. Mm-hmm. But Rick is just like, no, I had him. I had him. Gene rightly points out the match never even really got going, but Rick is adamant that he had Lex. Gene says he'll have his chance tonight as the two men square off in singles action. Luger strolls into frame as we see a replay just to make it clear to the audience that Rick is delusional and possibly concussed. (laughs) Rick says you can ask his brother Scott or Lex's partner Sting, and they'll tell you that he was beating Lex. He literally then just starts yelling, Sting! Sting! Like he's somehow in the locker room just out of view or something. And he seems like he doesn't know where his brother is either. Yeah, he's very confused. Yeah. I, I worry for his safety. He should. He's in no condition to perform. <laughs> Lex says that Rick is a great tag team wrestler. Him and his brother are quite possibly the best tag team there is. But this is singles competition, and Lex is focused and ready. 
he comes across here as very cool and confident, uh, which is impressive because I was worried for him not having Sting to bail him out of a promo like yeah. he always does, mm-hmm. where he just says one sentence and then says, tell him, Sting. Yeah. He had to get through this one himself, and he did pretty good. Yeah, maybe maybe when he was standing off off uh, off screen and listening to Rick Steiner, he's like, oh, I could definitely do better than that. <laughs> maybe that gave him the extra confidence he needed. Luger continues, saying that he's feeling good and he's at the top of his game, and that's good for Lex and bad for Rick. Lex walks off, and Rick says, it ain't bad for me. I can get you, before looking just completely befuddled. <laughs> like, he hadn't expected Luger to do anything but admit that clearly Rick was just destroying him last week. When the, he, he's just shocked that Luger's not like, you're right, Rick, you were you were the better man. I was just about to submit. Yeah. He asked Gene to tell everyone that he can beat Lex. Gene instead gently guides him out of the room and says, thank you, stick, which I assume is just a misspeaking. But (laughs) Gene then says that Lex may have been alluding to the fact that Rick Steiner, quote, doesn't have it all upstairs. (laughs) And though Lex never really did say anything like that, he would have been correct if he had. (laughs) Right. We go to commercials and an NWO ad plays as Scott Hall, Kevin Nash and the Giant all tell us to buy the official NWO T-shirt. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. You want to kick butt like the NWO? You're either with us or against us. You gotta be wearing the official t-shirt. Buy that shirt! All proceeds will go to the Ric Flair Retirement Fund. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. They just kind of goof off for a few seconds telling us to buy a shirt. Uh, It ends with Nash saying that the proceeds will go to the Ric Flair Retirement Fund. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's about it. Nash's line was good. Uh, and it's fun to see, of course, the launch of one of wrestling's two biggest T-shirts of all time. Right. It's got to be this and Austin 316, of course. Absolutely. Uh, Meltzer notes in The Observer that they were hustling to get these out there because fans had been making their own NWO shirts to wear to shows. Uh, and in fact, when we come back from commercial, you can actually see some kids like in the front row wearing white T-shirts that they've just spray painted NWO on. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely time to like rush these <laughs> to the printer right. and get them out to market because I think the, the fans are clamoring for them. Of course, you're again running the risk of making WCW look uncool because now people are going to be wearing shirts showing that they support these dastardly bad guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're making money either way, I guess. So, yeah, you know. yep. Uh, Who cares about tarnishing your main brand forever? (laughs) Tony tells us that on WCW Pro over the weekend, we had one of the most anticipated debuts ever, as Glacier finally appeared. We get some highlights of his entrance, done bathed in blue lights, and him doing a kata in the middle of the ring, as Larry tells us that Glacier has blended the soft style and smooth techniques of kung fu with the hard and direct styles of karate and some other disciplines. (laughs) Tony says that Glacier has already got under the skin of some WCW stars and reminds us of Bubba talking shit about Glacier last week. We never see any of Glacier's actual match against the Gambler, which is who he beat over on Pro. Hmm. Uh, Just some stuff from his entrance. So, wow, they've completely given up on Glacier at this point, right? Right, yeah, because obviously over (laughs) the months that we've been doing this show, um, they've had so many Glacier promos, and I think it was pretty obvious that his debut was going to be on Nitro. Oh, yeah. what? I The only reason you would do it on Pro would be like to work out the technical kinks. Yeah. But you don't need to actually put that on TV. You could just run it mm-hmm. at like a Pro taping yeah. and then just not air it. I It's insane that they would debut the character on pro yeah or or they could just do it on pro and just ignore it because that's pretty easy yeah (laughs) 
But yeah, this is obviously they're going with some sort of plan B for Glacier. And and I don't even know why that is, because as far as Glacier is concerned, I don't know if there's a lot uh, like his wrestling background. I don't know if there's a lot to suggest that he's not going to be a good wrestler or. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about that next week when he makes his official debut. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, it's definitely baffling and it's in and just it just just seems really disingenuous the way that they're like, oh, yeah, he, by the way, he made his debut. Not, not a big deal. Speaking of debuts, we've got two more right now as two men in red singlets trimmed in blue come out. One is waving a Canadian flag and the other the flag of Quebec. They are the amazing French Canadians, uh, which is definitely legally distinct from the Quebecers. <laughs> right. The amazing French Canadians are Jacques Rougeau Jr. and Pierre Carl Houlet. Or Houlette, as I think Tony keeps pronouncing it. And I'm not sure which one is technically correct. I'm, I'm, I actually am French-Canadian by ancestry, but uh, I don't speak enough French to know. But they keep calling him Houlette the mm-hmm. whole time, so I'm going to go with that uh, when I remember to anyway. Jacques is, of course, a legitimate wrestling legend in the Montreal area of Canada as part of the Rougeau wrestling family that goes all the way back to the mid-1940s. The 38-year-old Jacques is a third-generation wrestler, which is not a common thing to be in 1996. Yes. I mean, there's still not a ton of those in 2018, but to be all the way back then is pretty impressive. He was trained by his father and started his career in Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling. In the 1980s, he started working in the U.S., and in 1985, the World Wrestling Federation signed him and his brother Raymond Rougeau as a tag team, the Fabulous Rougeaus, debuting with the Fed in February of 1986. They were babyfaces and worked with the heel teams of the day, including the Dream Team, Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake, uh, who were apparently chosen name based on what would bother me the most. <laughs> the two teams would indeed face each other at WrestleMania 3 with the Rougeaus coming up short. The Rougeaus would win the WWF Tag Team titles once at a house show in Montreal, though the decision was later reversed and never mentioned on WWF television. It was strictly something done to make the Montreal crowd happy, uh, and it's like, questionable if it was even a an actual title change or not. Yes. In 1988, the team turned heel and continued on as a mid-card act until Raymond retired in 1990. Jacques left for a year before re-debuting as the Mountie, a cattle prod-wielding evil member of the Canadian Royal Mounted Police, uh, which indeed was a minor scandal in Canada, uh, and Rougeau actually was barred from performing as the Mountie when in the country, where he had to use his real name and did not come out using his jacket and hat. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, when I think about like really evil people, like the the Canadian Mounted Police, <laughs> yes, certainly come to mind. <laughs> the Mountie was a successful mid card act with memorable feuds that included losing a match to the Big Boss Man at SummerSlam '91, with the stipulation that he then had to spend the night in prison. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stipulations of all time. Uh, he also won the Intercontinental Title from Bret Hart in January 1992, though he lost that title two days later to Roddy Piper at the Royal Rumble. After spending the year in the mid-card, he left the WWF in October of 1992. In 1993, Jacques again returned to the WWF, this time as part of a new tag team, the Quebecers, with his partner being Pierre Ouellette, who we'll get to in a minute. The team was managed by Johnny Polo, a.k.a. Scott Levy, a.k.a. Raven, and they won the WWF Tag Team Championships on three occasions, with one of those uh, allegedly being the result of an accident at a house show match against Men on a Mission, 
where Mabel legitimately knocked out Ouellette before pinning him. So the Quebecers uh, lost the titles. Just he was unable to kick out. <laughs> uh, and so Men on a Mission lost the titles back to the Quebecers uh, two days later at a different house show. Okay. So basically there's just this weird two-day uh, title reign for Men on a Mission. That's the story of why it happened. Uh, Mabel, I think, has said that that didn't happen. Another version of the story is that he was too fat for Ouellette to kick out from. Uh, uh, that I don't really yeah, buy. I don't. That definitely sounds like a rib version of the story. The mm. knockout sounds at least more plausible. Uh, so who knows what really happened? But it was it was too funny not to pass on. Yeah, I mean, but I know in WWF in the mid nineties there were the occasional just like title switches on house shows. Yeah, so. just to make you think that you should go to a house show in your neighborhood because something might happen. Right. Yeah. So I, that's the way I've always kind of thought of those title changes as just being like those the house house show primers or preppers or something like that, but. Uh, no, I, I never heard like the legitimate knockout sort of story. After losing the Quebe- after losing the belts, the Quebecers spill it up with Polo and Pierre turning on Jacques and beating him until Raymond, who was by this time a part of the WWF's French announce team, came to the save for his brother. This led to a match between Ouellette and uh, Rougeau, billed as Jacques' retirement match, which was in front of a sellout crowd at the Montreal Forum in, in October of 1993, which Jacques won. He has remained in retirement ever since, until, of course, this Nitro debut here. So he's, yeah, he's like three years out of the game, basically. Unless he's, he, he may have been doing some stuff in Montreal. I know that he promoted his own shows there. Mm-hmm. Um, so retirement, at least on like a big national stage. Now, Carl Ouellette is another Quebec-area wrestler who worked the Indies in Canada and America before meeting Jacques Rougeau, while both were working in Puerto Rico in 1993. Rougeau brought him into the WWF when he went back for the Quebecers run, and Ouellette added the Pierre to the beginning of his name. After retiring Rougeau, Pierre was taken off TV until he was repackaged and reintroduced as Jean-Pierre Lafitte, the supposed ancestor of real-life pirate Jean Lafitte. Ouellette lost over 90% of the vision in his right eye at age 12 when a friend shot him with a pellet gun. Ouch. So he would often wear an eye patch, which led to the creation of a pirate gimmick. <laughs> Lafitte engaged in a three-month feud with Bret Hart, including a very good match at uh, In Your House 3. Yes. That's uh, mm-hmm. one of the best kind of new generation underrated matches out there, I think. Ouellette's tenure with the WWF ended after running afoul of the click, as he was scheduled to face WWF champion Diesel at a house show in Montreal. The match had some kind of screwy finish that would allow them to return to Montreal later for a rematch, but Shawn Michaels got in Diesel's ear about how Ouellette wasn't at his level, and Nash got the finish changed to a clean pin in his favor. Ouellette refused this finish, and the match would go on to end in a double countout. With the click now able to claim that Ouellette, a mid-carter, had refused to do a job for the WWF champion, he was buried, losing to Savio Vega at house shows until he left the company in November of 1995. WCW has reteamed the two, but before the Monday Night Wars are over, I just think this is interesting, we'll, I'm sure we'll cover it as we go along, but before the Monday Night Wars end, Ouellette will go back to the WWF, show up in ECW, and come back to WCW. Nice. <laughs> He's going to be a busy boy. <laughs> Now, Larry said that these two had better be amazing, as their opponents tonight have been on a roll lately, and those opponents, the Nasty Boys, are out next to a decent reception. Larry and Tony talk about the humiliation handed down to Randy Savage last week when the NWO painted a yellow stripe down his back. Larry warns that more potential traders could be lurking in the background, as we can't underestimate the financial resources of Ted DiBiase. 
Meanwhile, Rougeau has grabbed a microphone, which doesn't work at first, to demand that everyone stand so that he and Ouellette can sing the national anthem. Tony says, I'm sure this is not Stars and Stripes Forever, and I agree, because that song is not the national anthem of any country. <laughs> of course, the Canadians poorly sing O Canada in French, uh, which is a awesome anthem, even when sung poorly in French. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just generally really like O Canada. I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, the crowd, of course, hates it. And the Nasty Boys attack during the song to start off the match. So here to call all the action is our own master of parlez-vouing the Francais, Dave Amontorp. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Speaking French? Well, I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> I conjugated the verbs all wrong, but that's that's what I was going for. No, okay. All right, I can buy that. Um, so, yep. Yeah, so, so like Tim said, the Nasty Boys attack the amazing French Canadians as they're trying to sing the national anthem. I can't tell if Ryan, if referee Brian Hildebrand called for the opening bell or not, but really, does it matter? <laughs> no. Um, anyway, the Nasty Boys hit a double shoulder tackle, which sends Carl Ouellette to the outside. Um, while the referee attempts to restore order, Jacques Rougeau nails Jerry Sags with the Canadian flag. Larry Zbysko harasses one of the youngsters handing out the NWO flyers. Um, during this, the amazing French Canadians pull off a pretty neat double team move where Rougeau back body drops Carl Ouellette over the top rope to hit Brian Nobbs with a senton. They then pull off the same maneuver in the ring to Sags and a cover by Ouellette gets only a two count. We get another, uh, pretty nifty double team move with, uh, Jacques Rougeau body slamming Ouellette onto Sags. The amazing French Canadians then go for the Quebec crash, as it was called back in the WWF. They do not call this finisher by anything during this match, so I'm just going to call it the Quebec crash. And actually, they hit it twice in a row, and Brian Nobbs doesn't really do anything about it. <laughs> um, however, once Carl Ouellette goes for the cover, Brian Nobbs rakes it up. Yeah, it, it was a good-looking move, I thought. Yeah, both times. While Brian Hillenbrand escorts Jacques Rougeau to his respective corner, Brian Nobbs nails Ouellette into the back of the head with the Quebec flag. Jerry Sags then covers and gets the three count. Um, this is So it's a pretty short match. Yep. Uh, the amazing French Canadians look like a far superior tag team to the Nasty Boys. Sure. Because they have a lot of good like uh, uh, tag, team mat, uh, mm-hmm. tag team double team moves and things like that. And the Nasty Boys really don't get much offense at all, which is uh, probably not the thing to do if they're going for the tag team titles a Sunday at Fall Brawl. So the Nasty Boys did not look very good. The Amazing French Canadians did look pretty amazing, though. Yes, uh, I agree. Another thing that happened during the match I want to touch on is that uh, the youngsters, the NWO No Good Teens, started mm. walking around handing out their flyers. Larry left to go get one of the flyers and brought it back. Yeah. Uh, the flyer said on there, it had the NWO logo, and it said, you haven't seen bad, but it's coming. Ooh. Ooh spooky. <laughs> spooky. <laughs> we get some replays before heading to Mean Gene, who is in the ring with the Nasty Boys. Gene says the Nasties really took a beating from the Rougeau brothers, I guess forgetting that Carl Houlette is not... Uh, Rene Rougeau. <laughs> or not R- Rene. What's the other Rougeau? Raymond. Raymond, yes. I did not even catch he called them the Rougeau yeah. brothers. <laughs> and that's not the f- uh, last time tonight someone will call someone the wrong name. It notable. certainly is not. <laughs> All right, Tony, I thank you very much. Joined me right now, Brian Nobbs, Jerry Sachs, gentlemen. Uh, coming off a tough one there. Jerry, you really took a couple of big hammers there from these uh, 
gentlemen from Montreal, the Rougeau brothers. Let's uh, let's go back to last week. I was trying to conduct an interview with the Harlem Heat gentlemen, and I could not believe what happened. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, here the two of you come and wipe out the Harlem Heat. I think that's just kind of a tune-up, if you will, for what's going to happen this Sunday at Fall Brawl of the War Games as you challenge them for the WCW Tag Team title. Everybody. They love you. Everybody has been doing this to me and Nobs. Pointing the finger at me and Nobs. Saying, well, where's the nasty boys? NWO? Well, you're, you're friends with, with Hogan. Or WCW. Well, Gene, the tag team titles, those bright, shiny gold things, are all that concern the Nasty Boys. And they're in the WCW. So all that the Nasty Boys care about right now is the Harlem Heat and the tag team titles. Ryan? Well, you know what, Gene? A lot of people have been saying about Hulk Hogan, is he my friend, this or that. Hey! Nasty boys could give two hells what the NWO does. We're in the WCW at Harlem Heat. We're coming for you at the fall brawl for the WCW tag team titles. We're coming to take them, sucker. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, indeed, those are the WCW tag team belts held by Harlem Heat. The Nasty boys want to change that. Don't go away. It's Monday night, and Nitro is live. Here on TNT. Gene shows a replay of last week when he was interviewing the Harlem Heat when the Nasties jumped them from behind. The crowd chants for the Nasties as Seg starts his promo by pointing all over the place, saying that this is what everyone has been doing to him and Nobbs, pointing the finger. <laughs> everyone has been wondering if they're the NWO or not, and you know, ever since Bash at the Beach a month and a half ago, the Nasties come out every week and talk about how sick they are of all the questions about if they're in the NWO or not. But other than maybe Mean Gene like once, no one is asking them that. Mm -hmm. They're the ones asking it all the time. Yeah. Sag says that the tag team titles, those bright and shiny gold things, are all that concern the Nasty Boys. Nobs then says that the Nasties can give, quote, two hells about what the NWO does. Yikes. They're going to stay in WCW, and they're going to see the Harlem Heat at Fall Brawl. So at the very end of this, even though Sags had done the typical Nasties thing that they've been doing for a while where they're like, we don't feel the need to even answer the question about if we're in the... Like, mm. Nobbs is just like, yeah, we're in WCW. Yeah. And it's just, okay, that's a very sudden change for you guys, but fine. But sure, I look forward to you asking the same question in a few weeks. I hope not, because I'm really, really tired of the storyline <laughs> with the Nasty Boys. Um, I, I just wanted to mention, too, because you, you mentioned that Jacques Rougeau, he basically was, like, retired for three years? Yeah. He, did, he didn't look that bad. No, not I mean, at for all. One, for one thing, he looked, like, in wrestling shape. And and I yeah I thought that the amazing French Canadians looked more impressive than the Nasties have like their whole time on Nitro pretty yeah. much. <laughs> we go to commercial and when we come back, Scott Norton and Sergeant Craig Pittman are already in the ring getting checked out by Nick Patrick as the bell rings, despite Pittman's manager Teddy Long still standing right there in the ring. Hmm. 
Tony tells us that this will be a hold versus hold match. <laughs> and what that is, is never explained. That sounds like a regular wrestling match. <laughs> <laughs> My initial guess was it was going to be a submission match. Mm-hmm. But then Tony told us specifically that Norton and Ice Train will be in a submission match at the pay-per-view. So, like, no, submission match is still a distinct thing. Right. So, I don't... All I can think is that a hold versus hold match is uh, each guy has one hold, and they can only win the match with that specific hold, maybe? That, I mean, that was my guess, is that, like, they both have to win with their submission holds. Yeah, because Tony tells us that Norton has a hold, uh, which is his, quote, combination armbar and shoulder breaker, which you may also know as the Fujiwara armbar, and uh, that Pittman also has a hold, the cross arm breaker. So I'm guessing that's the idea here. One of them has to win with, it is a submission match, but not any submission. It has to be, like, their big submission. Yeah, so thanks to everyone for not explaining that to the fans. They lock up, and Norton powers Pittman into a corner and lays in with kicks and strikes. Pittman gets an Irish whip into the corner and then hip-tosses Flash to the mat. Pittman whips Norton into the ropes and hits his battering ram. He then hits another and hypes the crowd, but Norton gets back into it with some strikes of his own and a shoulder breaker. Pittman rolls to the outside and Norton follows. Tony tells us that the Macho Man will be in action tonight, despite apparently going crazy on Saturday night uh, when he was in a match against VK Wall Street. I didn't go and look at Saturday night to see what they were talking about, but oh, nope. apparently he went nuts. <laughs> I oh. would too if I were watching VK Wall Street. <laughs> oh, that Randy. Pittman is thrown into the guardrail and then the ring post and kicked by Norton. Norton locks in the Fujiwara, but Pittman refuses to tap. Teddy Long gets on the apron, begging with Pittman to submit, but the former Marine is just too proud. Ice Train comes out and he's mad at Long, I guess for not submitting on behalf of Pittman? Train throws in a towel, and that's it. Nick Patrick calls for the bell. Uh, if Train was so worried about Pittman, like, not giving up, where he comes out and yells at Teddy Long and everything, mm-hmm. why did he walk so slowly to the ring before throwing in that towel? <laughs> he just strolls down. <laughs> he was giving Teddy Long the chance to do the right thing. <laughs> Ice Train continues to show very little regard for Pittman's health as he gets into the ring very slowly and then just watches Norton continue to wrench the hold on the sergeant's arm which Larry rightly calls him out on. Norton finally rolls off and gets his hand raised. Norton and Train get in each other's faces. Ice Train, by the way, is wearing jeans and what appears to be a sliced-up denim jacket. I don't know a way to describe this. It sort of is like a star shape where it meets at a point in his back, Mm -hmm. and then there's like a band that stretches around his midsection, and then two straps that go over his shoulders, and then like a band that goes around his waist. With, like, these big empty areas between, like, an asterisk of denim or something. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And something where you you just have to, like, look at it yeah. in order to understand what you're trying to describe. And then, and then in the middle of the little asterisk, the little point where all those bands meet, mm-hmm. there is an attached denim backpack. Yeah, so it seemed like just, like, a mutant, like, denim backpack vest. Yeah, if you go sorts. back to my Twitter on May 20th, I tweeted a picture of it. Uh, that's when I was yeah. taking the notes for this. So if, if you're curious in seeing it, you can just go back to May 20th on my Twitter and check out a picture. It's it's completely, uh, even in wrestling, it's one of the strangest looks I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and like we said, it's very hard to describe. Finally, Norton leaves, and Train confronts an angry Pittman by patting him right on the supposedly injured shoulder. <laughs> we then cut to Mean Gene, who's in the locker room, joined by Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, and Lex Luger. 
back in the locker room area, joined by Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, Rick Flair. I had, I, I thought I had the components here for the team that was going to be representing World Championship Wrestling. Ron rule down. Luger, we're Sting. You got Double A, you got the Nature Bowl, we got the package. We're Sting. We got a fight going on Sunday. Where is your partner? Before you go jumping down my throat, Nature Boy, I've been there in war games with you guys. I've been a horseman. I've been in on the strategy sessions. I know what the importance of this match is. I have the same at stake that you guys have at stake. Sting's here. Steiner said he saw him in the back. I don't know where he is right now. It's unusual because I always tell Sting what do to do. Do me a favor, will you? Tell your story walking. Where's Sting, brother? Hogan on Steiner's next Sunday night. The show is out. It's live. And the by God horseman and Luger and I hope Sting show up. What about that? We're ready, brother. He's in the hey, back. wait a minute, Mongo, Chris Benoit. Can you smell it, Gene? The ship ain't even sailed in six days and the rat's already jumping off the ship. I told you guys not to count on these guys. Stay in the horseman. We'll see what happens. All right, you've got to settle down. What's your thoughts on all of this, Chris this Benoit? This is what the thought of filling our shoes has done. What's going to happen in the cage, Lex? Just not here for an interview. The stinger is, is in Where the is building. He? And Gene, if there's one guy, and you guys know we can count on for war games, we can count on the fight for world championship wrestling, it's the stinger. He's always been there. He'll be there in six days. You can count on it. Let me tell you my mindset, okay? Forget about the fact he's not here for the interview. I've called ahead to Winston-Salem to get myself a hospital room because I figure I just might need it. I expect to get hurt at war games. So does he, and so should you, and so should Sting, because you see, when you walk in war games on the cage, you've got to put all that on the line if you expect to get all that. Hogan, you took a baseball bat to me, but I was in the, right up in your face the very next week, so apparently I got more guts than you've got talent. You tried to put my eyes out with paint. You should have used battery acid. That's what I would have done. You lit this fire, now it's going to burn you all to the ground. I'm certain the horseman would be more than happy to jump into this place without Sting. Gentlemen, I thank you. Next Sunday Hollywood night, WCW the meeting the NWO double cage and, of course, double ring. Stay tuned. We've got more action live on Nitro. What a Monday night. Take a look. Gene is confused as to why Sting isn't there, and Flair angrily demands to know where the Stinger is. Lex says he doesn't need them jumping down his throat. He's been in war games before. Hell, he's been a horseman before, and he has just as much stake as they do. Lex says he has just as much at stake, not just as much stake. Mm, he's had a lot of <laughs> stake just like them. He's Lex probably had more stake than anybody. <laughs> Lex says that Sting is somewhere in the building, as Steiner said earlier that he saw him somewhere in the back. Of course, if we're trusting anything Rick Steiner says tonight, when he, <laughs> right. he's clearly very confused, I don't know if that's much to go on. <laughs> I, just, I just like the vagueness. He's out. He's there somewhere in the back. <laughs> Flair is not satisfied by this, but he quickly turns his attention to Hogan in the NWO with some standard Flair yelling stuff. Yes. A furious Mongo and an inscrutable Benoit show up. Mongo accuses Sting of jumping ship and says that Flair and Arn made a mistake by trusting Sting and Luger. Benoit asks Lex if Sting ran off at the mere thought of filling the horseman's shoes, and if that's the case, what's going to happen in the cage this Sunday? Lex says it's just one missed interview, but he's Sting. He's always been there, and they can definitely count on him, <laughs> even for a second. <laughs> 
Arn says that War Games is going to be so brutal that he's already called ahead and booked himself a hospital room in Winston-Salem. <laughs> which, which I is, didn't even know was an option. I was about to say. Which is totally something you could do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to need a room. <laughs> Arn, that's just an incredible line. Yeah. Arn then has words for Hogan, who beat him with a bat and tried to put out Arn's eyes with paint. Quote, you should have used battery acid. That's what I would have done. <laughs> Arn, that's uh, that's pretty intense. <laughs> Gene closes up the segment as everyone else uh, takes that as a cue to start just yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an uh, interview full of really yelly guys. Yeah. trying to out yell each other pretty much. <laughs> we come back from commercial, and Larry and Tony bemoan the lack of leadership on Team WCW. We then see a flashback to Clash of the Champions on August fifteenth, when Diamond Dallas Page lost to Eddie Guerrero and attacked him after the bell. We see Chavo Guerrero come try to help Eddie, and Chavo then pick up the upset victory on over DDP on Nitro the next week. Of course, after that loss, DDP took Nick Patrick's belt and then attacked Chavo. Uh, so it's just a package, basically, to hype us up for their match on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I was happy to see it because that's not something WCW has done a ton, especially since neither guy is on the show this week. Yeah. Uh, just reminding us that they have a match and this is why and what kind of led to it. Mm -hmm. It felt kind of oddly placed. Like, they just... The way that they showed it, I was like expecting one of them would be in the next match. Yeah. And then they just weren't. Um, but I was happy to kind of check in with the feud, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, our next match is going to be Joe Gomez and Juventud Guerrera. Mike Tanay joins the broadcast booth, and here to call all the action is our own coffee cup. I'm just looking at things <laughs> on the table. Uh, Dave Amantorp. All right. Tony Schiavone calls uh, him Juventu Guerrero twice <laughs> within 10 seconds of his music hitting. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> so the match starts off with a little bit of back and forth off the ropes before a much larger Joe Gomez levels Guerrero with a shoulder tackle. Another whip off the ropes and Guerrero with the advantage this time as he hits Gomez with a drop kick. As Gomez shakes the cobwebs, Guerrero uh, goes to the ring apron and slingshots himself into the ring for like a forward flip into a drop kick, which uh, from the very beginning looks like it's going, going to miss. Right. But fortunately, he's well covered by switch by the TV cameras. Gomez then goes to the outside, and as he tries to climb back into the ring, he's sent into the barricade courtesy of another Guerrero drop kick. Now, with both men on the ring apron and on opposite uh, sides of a turnbuckle, Guerrero tries for a springboard hurricanrana, but Gomez completely mistimes his flip into the ring. Yeah. Though he does, like, throw himself into the ring. Yeah, it's like, I'm not sure if at first he just doesn't want to take the move, but then he's like, well, I have to because he flipped over, so it just, like, is two seconds late. Right. It looks really bad. The result is something that gets, uh, I believe, gets boost from the fans. Mm -hmm. Although it's like, this this uh, this crowd is really, like, hyped up yeah. and are reacting just to, like, lots of, really random things so i don't know if they're upset or if they're just like getting they boo a few things in this match like little fucked up spots yeah. so i i think it's definitely booing the botch all right uh so guerrero follows that follows up that uh move by with an elbow drop but his cover is broken up as gomez gets his leg on the bottom rope so gomez stops juventude's momentum with a back elbow then he goes to the top rope but just stands there yep and waits for guerrero to do something <laughs> just Gets there and does nothing. Guerrero eventually obliges, but instead of hitting a top rope per Karana, he does a backflip and waits for Gomez to do something. 
Gomez eventually decides to go for a fly nothing as Guerrero catches him with a drop kick. Guerrero then goes to the apron and hits a slingshot spinning move, according to Tony Schiavone, for the pinfall victory. Uh, we then are told by Mike Tanay that that move is the Hero Con Plancha, which I could not find any further information on. And I just wanted to note this might be the worst executed match of Nitro I have seen so far. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, Meltzer reports that Gomez caught heat backstage afterward for how bad it was. I don't know why specifically uh, it was him and not Hoovy. Uh, he did look a little more responsible for what was going on, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, that was a bad match. It just, it was just really sloppy. It wasn't like I, I don't know what to say about it. it. Just it was two and a half minutes is not a lot of time to just fuck up that much. Yeah, it just. Um, to me, it seemed like Juventugra was was pretty well on his game yeah. because he was doing a lot of springboard moves. It's just that that Gomez was either not in the right position or he was pretty much unwilling to like sell. Yeah. Um. And then that whole corner series of events to me looked like a it was a mess up on uh, Gomez's part because he's the first guy to go to the top, but he doesn't do anything. Right. Like. Like, Gomez has no improvisational skills when it comes to in-ring action. And it just seemed very obvious that that um, there was a disconnect there. And to me, it, it I would put pretty much all of this on Gomez. But, yeah, for the fact that it was two and a half, only two and a half minutes, it was a really long two and a half minutes. Nick Patrick raises Guerrero's hand as the crowd boos the bad match. Or... Booze Guerrera, I suppose. I'm not 100% sure. Or both. Yeah. After replays, Mean Gene is joined by Nick Patrick. Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, Nick Patrick, come on in here if you would, please. Sure. Very good match there on the part of Juventude Guerrera. He just kind of wanders around here. But that's another story. Let's go back. Uh, recently, you made another call that I want to bring to your attention while I have you here. And if we would, let's, let's go to the replay from a recent edition of WCW Monday Night. Well, last week on this television program, you disqualified Lex Luger. What's the story? Did you see that right there? He deliberately struck me. He deliberately, right there. Anybody that's watching can see that that man deliberately hit me. Wait, wait a minute. I think it was totally unintentional. is a disqualification in anybody's rule book. Now, he seems to have this vendetta against me, all because of the lies that you've been spreading about me. You've got to stop that garbage, hey, now, now, now listen. Patrick. Now, the thing that happened at Sturgis was a very unfortunate coincidence. It's something that happened. But now you've told all these lies about me, and last week he chases me out of the building. Now, why isn't he suspended from professional wrestling? Any other official that would have been chased out of the building in any professional sport that man would be suspended. Now, why isn't he suspended? You know, if you take a look at it, I think they used it in a, in a court trial last year. The preponderance of the evidence is clear. Nick Patrick, you have been involved in way too many controversial decisions for this just to be coincidental. Oh, no, well, the people are all pointing their fingers at me because of you. And look what happened last week. You've got all the people pointing their finger at me. They think I'm the man. And then all of a sudden, in through the back door slips the giant. Slam dunks one, shatters the backboard, and puts it right down our throat. WCW's throat, our throat. You know, I am WCW all the way, no matter what you say, and no matter what anybody else says, I am going to enforce the rules to the letter of the law. That's my job. That's what I'm going to do. 
Well, all of a sudden, uh, you show up being awfully flush. I mean, with these new cars, beautiful home, $23,000 Rolex. Come on, Patrick. I didn't just get off the turnip truck. Yeah, you may not have just got off the turnip truck, Mr. Mercedes-Benz, but these are all lies, and I can prove they're all lies, and you're going to keep pushing my buttons, mister, and you and I are going to wind up in court. Well, I, I hope that doesn't happen. I thank you very much, Nick Patrick. Right now, sir, thank you. Wait a minute, Gene, 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 Gene hold on. Hold on, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I believe we have something outside. Am I, am I told that we uh, seen outside? The rain is coming down live here on Nitro, but they are, you see that flyers are being distributed right now. And those are, those are, that's Hulk Hogan and the outsiders in the rain putting flyers on the cars here at the arena, NWO flyers, as we are watching. So they are here. There you see the, that's the giant with that hat on right there. They are here, they are at the arena. That's the first time we have seen them tonight. And they are literally litter, littering the parking lot here, Larry. Well, you know, Hogan's still talking about what, four or five members? Look here. Wait a minute. That's Ted. That's that DiBiase. DiBiase is talking to someone in the limousine. I was just going to say, whenever you want to find out what's going on, follow the money. What? Keep your eyes on DiBiase. Who's what? he talking to? Well, I have no idea because the giant well, Hogan. Go out and Good find job, out. Guys. I've got a job to do in Great. here. Giant Hogan and the Outsiders, there you see all four of them. They are in the parking lot, right, and DiBiase is talking to great. someone else. There is yet another person, and he's here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with us. We'll have more WCW Monday Nitro as this news develops before our eyes live here on TNT. Stay with us. Gene passive-aggressively complains about Hooventude wandering into the back of the shot on his way to the locker room mm -hmm. before asking Patrick about last week's controversial disqualification call against Lex Luger. Patrick says that it was clearly intentional, and Luger has a vendetta against him due to all of Gene's lies. Patrick asks why Luger isn't suspended for chasing him out of the building last week, which is a good question, but why isn't Luger also in jail for his participation in the attempted murder of Ted DiBiase, Acting as an accessory to assault on a police officer and stealing a police vehicle is an even better question. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe that's where Sting is. He's just in jail. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick laments that the Giant joining the NWO, while Gene has everyone focused on him instead. He insists that he's WCW all the way. Gene talks about all the money and fine things that Patrick is rolling around with these days, and Patrick flat out says that that's all lies. That implies that Gene is actually the one flush with cash. He says something about Gene's, like, Mr. Mercedes-Benz or something like that. Mm -hmm. And Okerlund really should stop pushing his buttons or he's going to see him in court. Tony then pipes in, alerting Gene to a situation outside the arena. We cut outside where the NWO themselves are putting flyers on all the cars in the parking lot. It is pouring rain here in Columbus. Yeah. So it's kind of funny to me that the very rich guys in the NWO paid the no good teens to hand out the flyers inside the arena mm -hmm. while they themselves stayed out getting drenched with rain yeah. to put flyers on cars of all things. <laughs> I also wanted to point out that even though they're just kind of like out there putting out flyers, yeah. uh, Hogan is all oiled up. Oh, sure. <laughs> At all times. <laughs> Ted DiBiase stands nearby in the parking lot under an umbrella talking to someone who is sitting inside the NWO limo. We he's, can't see who. He's the only smart guy because he's the person <laughs> with the umbrella. Yeah. We go to a commercial, and this week on Saturday night, we're going to see DDP against Jim Duggan, Rick Steiner against Kurosawa, hmm. who's still around. I mean, 
this company has so many guys in the roster. Right. Uh, I also believe it's around this time I, I happen to see a note in the Observer that says uh, Kurosawa is going to have a match in New Japan where I think he's got a different name, Nakanishi. No, that's somebody else. Whatever his real name is that mm-hmm. he uses in, in New Japan. And uh, like the stipulation is if he loses, he has to go back to WCW. Nice. <laughs> like, it's a punishment. <laughs> Speaking of Rick Steiner, he comes out alone to take on Lex Luger. He gets many barks from the crowd. Luger is also uh, warmly received by the Columbus faithful. We go to a commercial before this one gets underway, and as soon as we return, Randy Anderson rings the bell. The two men shake hands, and the crowd applauds their sportsmanship as Tony and Larry wonder where Sting has been tonight. The first minute or so is just headlocks and reversals of headlocks, and it's so boring that I realized I'd zoned out and nothing happened and I didn't go back to, like, fix my notes. Right. I was just like, no, there was nothing. I'm not going to go back and check it. No, that's fair. The closest thing to a high spot in the first two minutes of this match is Lex getting a shoulder tackle and flexing at Rick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Steiner eventually scores a takedown and starts doing some amateur-style mat grabs, which, of course, Steiner can do well, but Luger can't, so this is painful to watch for a while. Tony says that in an hour or two, we're going to see the Faces of Fear against Public Enemy and Randy Savage versus John Tenta. Speaking of the roster, just being huge with guys <laughs> that you forgot about. Yep. They stay on the ground another minute, and this hot crowd who liked both guys have gone deathly quiet. Yeah. The appearance of a cartoon stick of dynamite can only mean one thing. It's the countdown to hour two. <laughs> the crowd actually begins to boo at this match, just all the stuff in the mat, until eventually Lex gets a rope break and Randy Anderson stands him up. Yeah, and, and to be fair, this crowd is a pretty hot crowd. They're willing to cheer just about anything. Yes, yes. So the fact that they're turning on, it's n- that's not on the fault of the crowd, that's on the quality of this match. A few things happen tonight that really work to kill this crowd, which is unfortunate given how nice they or how just good of a crowd they were. Yeah. Steiner shoves Lex into a corner, but Lex elbows him in the face as we go to the 10 second countdown. Steiner gets a big clothesline for two when the pyro goes off as Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Mike Tanay welcome us to the second hour of tonight's show. Bischoff says that we're in the midst of our semi main event. <laughs> okay. <laughs> fine oh eric i don't know why it's on halfway through the show but okay (laughs) lex hits a loaded flying forearm on rick for the two count a power slam from rick brings woofs from the crowd he drops an elbow for two back on their feet the two men exchange punches until steiner nails lex with a big belly to belly that gets another two rick stays in control with a return to boring offense until a clothesline gets a two count yet again by the way at this point rick steiner is fucking gassed yes he is and he's not used to singles matches you can tell but it, but it's not even that long though yeah. I'm, I'm just like i was like shocked that he he is just like blown up like ready to call it a night already whipped into a corner the total package comes back with another flying forearm randy anderson starts a standing 10 count which both men beat easily Luger gets a power slam as Bischoff enters the mode he reaches occasionally where he's breathlessly calling every move. Yeah. And he's just talking so fast. And you're like, dude, calm down. Call every three or four moves. Like, you don't, we, we can see what the rest of them are. It's fine. Yeah. He, sometimes he just goes in this weird mode and you're like, you just want him to, like, snap out of it. Lex calls for the torture rack, which worries Heenan as he's concerned that Rick Steiner is too stupid to give up and will end up with a broken back. <laughs> 
moves Nick Patrick to ringside. Nick Patrick is out. Nick Patrick motioning Luger to the back. Nick See? Patrick is going after. Something's happened to Sting. The back Luger is chasing Nick Patrick. Something's happened to Sting, I bet. I heard him say, out back, out back. And there's, hold on, let's listen. I'm tired of this stuff, this DTA stuff. Oh, no. Don't trust anybody. He's got to go. You know why? What? You better learn to trust somebody right oh, now. No. Trust the wall. Trust we got no way out. It's either you trust him or you don't. Look at me in the eye. You know I'm. What in the world is no, going I on? I know I can trust you. Now look I know I can trust you. I know that you can trust him. I, I know I can trust him too. Look, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at you. Everything's gonna be okay. No. That stings boy he's talking him. to DBS. Hey, no. Hey, hey, stay right there. Stay right there. No. Where is he? Where's who? You got There's Luger. Stinger, what would Stinger be doing with me? Look, Luger, I'm standing out here oh, in a parking lot. Right 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 no! That's it. No! That's it. Oh, that's right. Oh, no! Nice. Come on, finish. That's right. Oh, we're in bad trouble oh, now. We're no! in bad leave this. Sting has he's been, turned. He's been bought off by DiBiase. It is Sting and the NWO. No. Oh, you thought you'd never see this. No. I said you can't trust anybody. You can't trust a soul here. And there you see it. Sting standing side by side with the NWO, beating up his partner Lex Luger and getting into that limousine. What are we going to do for the war games? Oh, my. DiBiase standing out there in the rain and Hogan. Putting the boots to Lex Luger. Sting do this. This crowd has no idea of what has just happened here tonight. What is going to happen at War Games? What's going to happen with the horsemen? Everything's been planted out by. Look at Luger! Luger gets a hold of the chauffeur! Luger! Luger is beside himself. He is going after the limousine. Two limousines. It is pouring down rain. There are two limousines. Luger, DiBiase has skated. Where's Hogan? Where's the rest of them? And it's dangerous out there. It's lightning. It's thundering. This is the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. I'm sorry. Apparently, from what we have just seen, Nick Patrick caught Luger outside. Luger either chased Patrick out or, for whatever reason, went outside looking for Sting, and he found him. Suddenly, Nick Patrick comes running down the aisle. He's pointing toward the back and yelling something that I couldn't quite make out, motioning Lex to follow him. Luger runs off, Randy Anderson counts him out, and Steiner is awarded the victory as we immediately cut outside where it is still pouring rain. Ted DiBiase is still under his umbrella talking to whoever it is inside the limo, and though we can't see inside, the unmistakable voice of Sting says that he's tired of DTA, don't trust anybody, and yells about a lack of trust as DiBiase tries to assure him that Sting can trust him. Now, you can very easily tell by the difference in the quality of Sting's voice versus DiBiase's that these were previously recorded somewhere. 
I think from a previous Nitro, because I think this is him yelling about you need to trust. I think this goes back to last year uh, in the lead up to the last War Games match mm-hmm. where it was him, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, and Lex versus the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. Uh, and Savage and Hogan didn't want to trust Lex. I think this is these lines are taken from a Sting promo about how you guys have to trust Lex. Because he keeps saying, like, you got to trust him, blah, blah, and And DiBiase is just like, oh, I do trust him. And it doesn't really make any sense in the context of what they're talking about. Sure. You just have to be like, oh, this is something the NWO did to, like, trick us. Mm-hmm. But, of course, we won't know that for another six days. Yep. I, I'm going to dispose of the pretense here that we're going to believe that this is the real Sting. Uh, we all know that in six days, it turns out this is not the real Sting. So, right. spoiler alert, uh, we're not going to, like, keep kind of the kayfabe on that. Right. <laughs> Uh, you can really tell because Sting's voice has like an echo on it, as if it's coming from an arena or a big hallway or something. Certainly not a, inside of a limo in the pouring rain. Well, I mean, the only thing is that I I didn't really think of that as far as it being pre-recorded. Yeah, and so I would think that that someone that was not um, privy to the events could yeah could buy that. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Sort of how. You can view this knowing the ending versus how it would be perceived in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about that kind of once we're done summarizing the angle here. Okay. Eric is aghast, and Bobby states the obvious. That's Sting's voice. DiBiase implores Sting to stay put and shuts the door of the limo. Lex suddenly shows up, and the sight of Lex Luger in wrestling tights and white boots standing in the pouring rain is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, just being outside in wrestling gear is funny. Being outside in wrestling gear in the pouring rain is even funnier. Mm-hmm. Luger asks Ted where Sting is. Why would the Stinger be with me? Asked DiBiase. Suddenly, behind Luger, Sting jumps out of the limo and attacks Lex from behind. No! Screams Eric as Sting assaults Luger with kicks and punches. Hogan, Hall, and the Giant show up to join the assault. I assume Nash got tired of the rain and bailed inside for some nachos or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, nah, you guys got it. It's fine. <laughs> I'm good. Sting has turned, yells Eric. He's been bought off, claims Tanae. Bobby laments that you can't trust a soul here as Nash finally wanders over and the NWO plus Sting <laughs> get into the limo and drive away. <laughs> so nice of Nash to show up. <laughs> uh, yeah, There's two limos, I should stress, by the way. So they get into one and drive away. Mm-hmm. DiBiase is there and he gets in a few final kicks as Tanae asks what the WCW will now do for war games. Hogan and the limo driver aren't done. They pick up Lex so that Ted can get him a couple more times with kicks as Eric points out, the crowd in the building has no idea what's happening right now. By the way, very, very underrated part of this segment is that Ted DiBiase gives really good kicks while also holding an umbrella. <laughs> That's true. Uh, a funny thing, too, to me is that the NWO chauffeur is in on this beating, and he yeah. wants to beat up Luger some more, but Luger, uh, he's he's like the one guy that Luger's allowed to get some offense on because mm-hmm. Luger grabs him by the collar and throws him into some nearby grass. And also, whoever their chauffeur is, he has no idea of how to like try to get a wrestler up to their feet. Yeah, and there, it's, there's like kind of this long moment where he's trying to pick up Luger, and we're just kind of waiting for this to play out. Luger runs back to the remaining limo, but the NWO are gone. DiBiase and Hulk just like vanished into the ether somewhere. Mm-hmm. I assume they're just standing outside of the camera shot, and Lex is pretending he doesn't know where they are. I, I'm not right. sure. Yeah. Oh, he also. He also doesn't even try a handle of the limo, so they could just be inside for all we know, because he doesn't even try to open it. He just assumes it's locked. 
Back in the arena, Eric, Bobby, and Tanae are bummed. <laughs> Eric recaps what happened, and Bobby points out that it looks like Nick Patrick possibly set up Luger for that attack. That's a really good point, but Eric, for whatever reason, is not interested, as he annoyedly seethes, forget about Patrick. Who cares about Patrick? Right. Dude, Nick Patrick has been, like, the main storyline for three weeks. What do you mean, no, who cares yeah. about Patrick? Yeah. Also, I, I wanted to point out that poor Mike Tanay does not know how to react to, during this whole thing. He's yeah. just sitting there with a blank look on his face because I, I, he's like, I'm here to do the cruiserweights. I really don't know how to add to this conversation. <laughs> a frustrated Bobby points out that they need to worry about everyone. If something is going on, they need to figure out what it is. I don't think that's a lot to ask, says Heenan. And I actually love this moment of tension between the two because it kind of shows how paranoia begins to break down relationships. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if they're genuinely annoyed with each other, if Bobby just didn't like getting that short answer, or if they're just doing good acting. Yeah. Uh, but whatever it is, it, it was a really good moment. I liked it. Eric gets word from security in the back that the NWO have disappeared and could be anywhere. Well, they're well over six feet tall, so it can't be that hard to spot them. <laughs> like right. if Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan are around somewhere, right. I think someone will notice. <laughs> Eric decides to go back over the events of last week. So straight from Sting turning his back on WCW, mm -hmm. we just go into replays of DiBiase coming to his seat, leaving the Giant, the Giant's turn, and they just run this package of replays uh, narrated by Shivani, uh, which is kind of weird to hear his voice again now that he's not you know part of the announce team for the second hour. Right. Uh, but before we move on to kind of the rest of the show, let's talk about the angle a bit. Um so, as we mentioned, that voice was the voice of Steve Borden, the real Sting. Uh, but it was not the real Sting who jumped out of the limo. That was, of course, Jeff Farmer, a.k.a. Cobra, who was last seen on Nitro in November of last year. Is that when he got his world title match? Against the Giants. Nice. Who was maybe not the real world champion. It was, like, not sure at the time. But, yeah, yeah that's the last time we saw him. The only time we've seen him on uh, Nitro, I believe. Mm -hmm. So... He had the makeup, he had the dark hair, he had the scorpion jacket, and the way he jumped out and you just see him once, um, you see him like once and kind of closer, and then the rest are sort of far shots. Mm -hmm. And most of the time you're seeing his back where he's got like the big scorpion jacket. Yeah. Uh, I thought that this was pretty convincing. Uh, it's sort of tough to know what you would have thought had you not known the payoff, because of course that's impossible for me at least. I don't know if you remember watching this live or not. Yeah, not not this particular event, no. So it's you know I I'm only watching this knowing how it pays off. Um, so I'm trying to imagine like what would this be in 1996? You know what I believe this was the real Sting, and I think absolutely I would. There's really no reason watching this if you're not looking for reasons. I don't think there's any reason to suspect that this is anything other than Sting turning his back on WCW. Yeah. So the <laughs> so the thing is when I was watching this and I watch this just like the day before today. Um, cause you were mentioning how they use like a voice recording of Sting. Yeah. See, I thought that WCW kind of cheated and had Steve Borden in the limo to say those lines mm. and then had the, had uh farmer jump out. Right. No, the real Sting is not at the show this week. I'm not sure where he is. Um, next week on Nitro, they'll say, that he was in Japan, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. Okay. And I suppose we'll get some more information at Fall Brawl, yep, too. Yep, yep. But, um, 
The only, I mean, the only thing that was a little bit different is that his hair is different. Um, but that also, I mean, the fact that it was raining could have made him made his hair look darker too. So, I don't know. I just tr- trying trying to forget about the fact that I know how this pol- goes off. Trying my best to look at it as like as though I'm seeing it for the first time. Yeah, I think I would have I would have been convinced that, that was Sting. I think so too. Absolutely. I asked people on Twitter, um, anyone that could remember watching the show live. Um, seemed like most people were saying most people that responded that they could remember saying yeah they thought it was. It was the real sting. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, like I said, if, if you're not in the know that six days later we get a big, you know, another reveal. And really, this is the beginning of a year-long storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really the genesis of a super important moment. So in, I think in retrospect, we can see this as a really great angle that I think worked really well. Personally, yeah. that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is important to note that in the moment... Uh, 700,000 fans turned off Nitro at this point in the show. They lost almost a million viewers. Huh. Uh, So it's not like they all went to Raw because the Raw numbers that we'll discuss later, it's not like they get a huge boost. It's like these 700,000 Nitro fans were so disgusted at seeing Sting be a bad guy now that they just turned off the show and did not come back to it at least for the rest of the night. Now, part of that... Might be the fact that after the angle, there's like 10 fucking minutes of replays and just the guys in the booth just sort of talking. Mm-hmm. It gets kind of boring for a little bit. But it did it did some damage to their ratings for the night. Uh, so in terms of as like the birth of a huge storyline, I think it works really well. Yeah. Um, but there was, a, there was a short-term sacrifice that they made by pissing people off that much that made people think that that sting was was a baddie now but uh i mean even if it is like uh you you suffer a little bit in the ratings like the fact that so many people had such a like a strong reaction to it right you have to see that as a positive like i can't even think of another instance like that in which the ratings were were changed so quickly right yeah we'll get to you know in a few years we'll get to stuff like um, that'll put butts in seats and stuff like that. You right. Know? But yeah, at this point in time, there's like not not anything that I can remember where the numbers changed that much over a specific thing. Yeah. So, I mean, even if, even though the ratings went down, I mean, if I was Bishop, I would see like that such a visceral reaction to be a positive. Right. So back to the show, we're still on the uh, the breakdown here, the replays and packages and everything over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my favorite parts is we get some Zapruder-like breakdown of the footage from last week where DiBiase escaped in the limo before Sting threw that big rock through the window. Yeah. And they, like, zoom in on it and run it in slow-mo, and they're like, see, that proves that it's DiBiase. But with this, like the shitty definition cameras of the day that when they zoom in, you can't see anything. It yeah. like makes it much less obvious that it's even a human being getting into the limo, right. let alone who specifically it is. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted that picture yesterday. Oh, did you? I missed that. Um, That's hilarious. <laughs> so if, you're, if you follow my account, on if you follow my Twitter account, that would be on May 27th. That's at Dave Amantorp, by the way. Yeah, so I have a screenshot of the the definitive photo evidence that it was Ted DiBiase and how, like, out of focus and, like, pixelated the whole thing looks like. You can't see 
You, you, yeah, you can't, you can't even see a human being in that. I also caught something in the replay that I missed last week, and that's after the Giant had turned and they headed to the broadcast table for the Giants promo, uh, the one that Hulk kept interrupting. Hogan starts off by saying, is there any doubt now who is the most powerful man in professional wrestling? <laughs> Not group or organization or anything. Man, uh, it's yeah. all about the Hulkster. <laughs> Back to Eric, Bobby, and Tanae, who are almost over-the-top despondent now, as Eric takes us to a replay of the attack on Luger uh, by Sting. So now we're just literally seeing replays of things that happened before the last replays that we saw. Right. Uh, and he once again points out that the live audience does not know what is going on. As far as they know, they were watching Lex Luger and Rick Steiner. Lex Luger ran away, and now ten minutes of nothing have happened. Yeah. They are killing these poor people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric calls this moment disappointing and distressing before we go to commercial. Uh, the NWO ad uh, for the t-shirt plays again. And when we come back, Lex Luger, Scott Norton, Big Bubba, Rick Steiner, and Brian Knobs are investigating the remaining NWO limo, <laughs> as Eric reminds us that the other one has left. At one point, Luger grabs a cardboard box and dumps out several of what looks like tennis ball containers. Uh, we'll get to it later. They're okay. actually spray paint cans. Yeah. But... <laughs> Uh, I guess the Nasties really are WCW now since Knobs is out there helping. I didn't see Sags, but mm-hmm. he might have been there. I'm not sure. Rick Steiner outside in the rain wearing his singlet and ear protection while holding an umbrella. <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of the only guys who gets an umbrella besides DiBiase. Yeah. Uh, another hilarious image. As is Brian Knobs, who looks like a complete idiot wearing red shorts and a big purple t-shirt mm-hmm. with like he's you know he's wearing shorts but he's got like his socks kind of pulled up to his ankles like y- your dad has you know mm-hmm. uh it really kills whatever mystique brian knobs has to see him in street clothes wandering around a parking lot in the rain yeah oh something i wanted to mention from um the first time that we were outside with with the sting yeah um is like after luger tosses the um the chauffeur uh-huh uh, Ted DiBiase hightails it out of there. Like, he just sprints um, into the parking lot somewhere. And I don't know exactly where he goes or, or where he is now. Yeah. Um, because I thought I thought that maybe Rick Steiner, I think he got his umbrella. Oh, sure. That because could I, be. I'm pretty sure that DiBiase drops an umbrella and just runs the, the other direction. That would make sense. Tanae says that the missing ingredient in WCW has been a lack of leadership. And not to parse what he's saying too much, but the missing ingredient has been leadership, not the lack of leadership. Right. (laughs) I just wanted to point that out. We need more lack of leadership. (laughs) Now, the lack of leadership line has been said by Larry, Bobby, Tony. That's been a common theme that they've said, Mm -hmm. that the problem with WCW is a lack of leadership. But for some reason, Eric takes great offense to Tanae saying it. You're right. Like he, <laughs> and I'm not clear if if he's doing it in character or if he thinks that Tanae was somehow saying that the the company, the organization WCW, has a lack of leadership, which of course he's the executive vice president of behind the scenes. Right. Because he reacts as if he's being personally insulted. He says. It takes a lot of guts for a relative newcomer like you to say uh, that we don't have leadership. And I, d- I don't know. It just It's very <laughs> uncomfortable. And then there's a very awkward silence. And then Heenan says something about the NWO are picking them apart piece by piece to try to get things back on track. Tanae says that it's time for everyone in WCW to band together. And Bischoff goes like two minutes without speaking. 
he's just he's so mad <laughs> or he's selling that he's so disappointed by sting i'm i'm kind of not sure yeah if this was bischoff getting offended for some reason or not yeah he's picking a really bad time to do that you know yeah because he's arguing a point that like multiple people including him i think have made that the nwo has clear definitive leadership and wcw doesn't mm-hmm. and then just to suddenly get mad at Tanay for saying it it's it's bizarre but i mean also the the fact that they just did like this sting betraying wcw oh, sure. angle yeah and instead of being focused on that if he's letting something be personal for some unknown reason. Right. It's like, it's really bad timing for him to be offended. Meanwhile, Billy Kidman makes his way to the ring. Another icy silence hangs in the air until cruiserweight champion Rey Mysterio Jr. finally gets Bischoff to speak, just to mention who's coming out, basically. Right. You sound like you just lost your best friend, says Bobby. Bischoff doesn't even respond to that, so Bobby eventually just says, oh, obviously he did. (laughs) (laughs) But Bobby Heenan's really trying to get this back on track <laughs> to his to his credit. Yes, he, he's really trying to be like, how about like there's a wrestling show on right now? How yeah. about we we keep doing that? <laughs> Eric regains his composure finally as the bell rings. The two baby faces circle each other and shake hands. Ray gets a side headlock, but after a short period of chain wrestling, Kidman is in control until Ray gets on Billy's shoulders and does a head scissors takedown, taking Kidman over the top rope and onto the floor. Uh, no disqualification for going over the top rope, by the way. Right. Billy tries to whip Ray into the guardrail, but Ray reverses, and Billy goes in back first. Ray jumps up on Billy from behind and does a somersault head scissors that sends Billy into the ring steps. Ray tries to fire up the crowd to marginal success, as they are coming off of 15 minutes of watching an empty ring do nothing. Yeah. I don't even think Wildcat Willie was in there throwing hats or whatever. It was just nothing. If they knew that that this much time was going to be used, yeah. they could have just thrown a dark match in there, wouldn't I, you think? Absolutely. You there's know. so many guys in their roster. Surely there's two that could have just gone out there and done something, mm-hmm. and the crowd would have been none the wiser that they weren't seeing the real show, you know? Yeah, and and as I'll, I'll point out later that... um. When they go to like a backstage or um, outside segment or something like that, yeah, they're capable of turning off like the the in in ring crowd. Oh right, yeah, yeah, the audio. Yep. Kidman rolls back into the ring and Mysterio tries to come at him with a springboard something, but Kidman catches him with a drop kick. Bobby puts over the quality of the wrestlers in the cruiserweight division and the fierce competition that will make it very tough for any man to hold on to that championship ah, for long. Such fierce competition. <laughs> They're really putting that over today. Yeah. Kidman comes off the top, not with his shooting star press, but with a big splash for two. <laughs> Kidman whips Ray into the ropes, but Ray flips over them and then pokes through the top and middle rope to hit Kidman in the gut with a shoulder. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> If there's anyone Billy Kidman could do a big splash on, it's Ray Mysterio Jr. (laughs) Ray stays in the apron for a second before hitting Kidman with a springboard somersault senton that picks up the 1-2-3 at the two-minute mark. Uh, This was a solid, fun little match, probably the best match on the show, but but why would these guys not go like eight minutes of high spots, high spots, high spots to try to like Mm -hmm. get this crowd back on the side of the company that's putting on the show? Yeah. No, I was gonna say that um, it was definitely a quality over quantity for like for two minutes. It's a pretty, it's about as good as you can get for two right. minutes. <laughs> Ray celebrates in a corner with his belt. I got him. I'm a winner. He tells the camera. <laughs> 
He keeps talking, addressing Malenko, but though we can hear him, we've cut to replays and Bischoff is just talking over him. Yeah. So you see the replay and Bischoff <laughs> calling the replay while you hear in the background Ray trying to tell Malenko about like right. how they're going to face off a million more times in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> That's not even his opponent this Sunday. <laughs> we go to a commercial and when we come back, we hear the evil laughter that heralds the arrival of the Dungeon of Doom. More specific this time, it's Meng and the Barbarian, the Faces of Fear, who are accompanied by their manager, Jimmy Hart. Their opponents tonight will be Public Enemy, who come out carrying a table. They pose for their pyro and wave their hands in the air like they just don't care. They really just don't care. They literally don't, because their arms are going in dramatically different directions at wildly different tempos. <laughs> they don't care! Tanae and Bobby wonder just how much DiBiase had to offer Sting to join the NWO as we go to another commercial. We finally come back for some hot tag team action. <laughs> wow, you can really change the meaning of a word by adding hot in there. Yep. Uh, here to call all of it is our own Dave Amantorp. My first thought is, how can WCW justify Nick Patrick being the referee for the rest of the evening? <laughs> yeah. When, when he clearly was some sort of accomplice for this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, they could have just had him not be a referee for the rest of the night. That doesn't, that's not asking a lot. But no, here he is. He's the referee for this match, and it just doesn't make any sense to I me. haven't minded the Nick Patrick stuff, but it's time to fully turn him and put this, like, is he a bad, you know, is he with the NWO or not? Mm. It's time to put that in the rearview mirror and just either pull the trigger or not. Yeah. And just do like they did with Luger, where there's suspicion for months, and then it turns out, like, no, he actually is good. You were just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> One or the other, please. After the Faces of Fear attack Public Enemy before the bell, we quickly go to a split-screen view as Johnny Grunge brawls outside the ring with Meng and the Barbarian battles Rocko Rock in the squared circle. While Meng gets a better at Grunge, Rocko Rock executes a springboard moonsault onto Barbarian, who tries but cannot catch his opponent, so he just kind of drops to the mat. Rocko Rock rolls up Barbarian for a two-count as Meng and Grunge eventually climb up to their respective corners. There's kind of a weird moment where Grunge grabs a chair and is starting to go to the ring with the chair, but then realize, oh, we're just going to our corners now, and drops drops the chair. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, we see that the leprechaun is running around the ringside yeah. for no reason. Yeah, uh, he chases Jimmy Hart, who's, I think, we never really see him on Nitro, but I believe that part of the gimmick with him is that no one can tame him except Sullivan, not even Jimmy Hart, who yeah. like is their manager. Mm -hmm. Um but no one is going to fill us in on this because they're so uninterested in Leprechaun that the announcers literally do not mention him. Right. He comes out, he runs around the ring a few times, and nobody says a word about it. Right. And this is the announcers that have Eric Bischoff, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yes. The one person that would probably think, like, I should probably mention something says not a word about the Leprechaun. Yeah. He, uh, Sullivan has, like, blamed the Leprechaun, saying, like, it wasn't his idea and he didn't like it. Um, but also I think Bischoff would say like, that was a Sullivan thing. I just had nothing to do with it. <laughs> so like, I don't, you know, no one's like taking responsibility for this shit character and how stupid it is. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the barbarian press slams Rocko Rock and hits him with a pair of clotheslines, sending him out of the ring to gather himself. As the announcers try to motivate themselves in the war against the new world order, Johnny Grunge and Ming are tagged in. So it should be noted that the, the announcers really are not paying attention to this match. Yeah. At this point, we cut away from the match to a backstage segment with Gene Okerlund, who is with Four Horsemen and Lex Luger. 
Thank you very much, Eric Bischoff. Uh, we're back here, all of us very, I guess, very mixed up right now. Emotions are running high. Lex Luger, I tried talking to him. He's beside himself. Arn Anderson, for the record, maybe you can sort out what we saw earlier on out in the parking lot here on Nitro. I'm not disturbed that Luger lost a friend. I'm not sad that I lost a teammate. I guess what I am is standing here in shock because the only constant sting over the last 10 years since they actually bought the company was you. People went here, people went there, people changed attitudes. The only one thing that you could always count on was Sting. Sting was the constant. I got a sick feeling in my stomach. I'm in shock. I guess the only thing I can say for the first time in my life is I'm out of words. I'm speechless. But Luger, I got to have an answer. What, what the hell is going on? Is everybody selling out these days? Who can you trust? You want answers from me? I don't have any answers. My best friend in the whole world after that stinking, soaking rain just stabbed me in the back, Arn. And you know what? That makes this match the biggest match. Right before the biggest match of my career and everybody else is in here. Makes me want to be in that match all the more. It makes me, gives me the incentive that I've wanted. And let me tell you, I'm out of here because I know where he lives. I know where he works out. It's our gym. He's been my best friend for 10 years, and I'm going to go find him right now. You know, I don't know if you can if you can still trust this consortium or not, but maybe you can touch on it very quickly. Uh, uh, Rick Flair, we're running we're running short on time. Go ahead. Me, Gene, to sort all this out. I've stood here. I've listened to it all. I'm sick of it. The confusion is over. We're the horsemen. We're Arn Anderson. We're McMichael. We're Benoit. We're Flair. And if Luger wants to ride, he can ride. We're going to war games. Hogan, Nash, Hall, Sting, we're going to lock the door of that cage. Four of us will walk out. Four of us will pay price that only God will know about, pal. That's it. War games, we're the horsemen, and Winston Salem, by God, we're coming to town. All right. They don't want the spot. Hollywood. I'm looking at two right now chomping at the bit. Hollywood. We're dying for it originally. By God, maybe they'll right. end up with it. It's a fight to All the right. death. Yours, not ours. Gentlemen, let's get back to Lock you, Eric. Give me the call. Give me the call. Now we get a split screen again as Grunge is getting the upper hand on the Barbarian. So we have a split screen of the match and also with this, uh, this segment with um, the Horseman and Luger. We get quick tags from Public Enemy to double-team the Barbarian as Lex Luger tells Arn Anderson he knows where Sting lives and that they apparently own a gym together, so he's going to go find him. Yeah, he goes, I know where he lives, and I know where he works out. At our gym. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then at that point, I, I realized, like, well, they're in Georgia, so there's a chance... Their gym is maybe within range of this. Yeah, it's probably not that far away. Because at first I thought that, at first I thought he was just saying that. And I was like, well, there's a chance they're not in the same state, but I think they might be in the same state. So well, that's like, like either way, it's unlikely that Sting beat him up, joined the NWO, and then went for a workout. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's what Luger would do. But. <laughs> that's probably true. Actually, that's a good point. Uh, while Ric Flair screams about the Four Horsemen. Barbarian catches Rocco Rock going to the top rope and nearly murders him with a belly-to-belly -belly suplex because Rocco Rock 
almost lands on his head. Yep. And now we're back to just watching the Four Horsemen. This is the point that I was mentioning earlier in which they cut the audio out from the ring. Mm-hmm. So not only are we gone from the match, we have no idea what's happening as the Four Horsemen are talking. Um, the only note I wrote about this segment is that there's tons of screaming from everyone. Yeah, Flair, Flair says he's listened to everything and taken it in, and the confusion is over. They're the horsemen, and if Luger wants to ride with them, he can. When the door is locked at War Games, one team will walk out, and the other will pay a price that, according to Flair, quote, only God will know about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> only God will know about? That's what he says. One will pay a price that only God will know about. <laughs> right. Uh, Arn to go- <laughs> Arn also has a great line. Arn goes, it's a fight to the death. Yours, not ours. (laughs) (laughs) And Mongo uh, demands to get the call to join the match in Mm. Sting's place. That's an important thing. I want to stress that a lot because it's going to be, I think, really important when we do our Fall Brawl episode. Uh, From the moment that Sting turns, Mm -hmm. they start talking about, like, Who's going to go in his place? Is it going to be Mongo? Is it going to be Benoit? Is it going to be Mongo and Benoit and Luger's going to be out? Yeah. Like, it's very clear from the way that they talk about it that WCW can put someone else in the match. Right. And they just need, they've got six days to figure out who. So just everyone tuck that in the back of your mind before we get into next episode. And now you're going to hear a weird phrase. To Mongo's credit, (laughs) it was good for him to be like, I want his spot now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Flair, Anderson, and Luger are way too focused on on Sting betraying them to talk right. about that spot. So I like the fact that that Mongo like jumped in and was like, "He's obviously not on the team anymore. I want that spot instead." So yeah. I I liked how he was kind of setting that up for like this question about what's their roster going to look like on Sunday. Right. Anyway, we finally return to action with Ming kicking away at Rocco Rock in the corner. Ming spikes Rock with a pile driver, but Johnny Grunge breaks up the cover. And now we got all four men in the ring. But quickly, Ming and Grunge leave the ring, and then Ming is back in again. It gets kind of, there's kind of a breakdown here. I was which, so glad that you had this match, to be honest. Yeah, there's like a lot of breakdown here in which the referee is not really paying a lot of attention to who the legal man is. Yeah. So guys are just kind of coming in and out. So I'm trying my best to describe it, but really, it's like, it's hard. It's hard to like get too worked up about the details of a match that clearly WCW wasn't focused on either. Right. The faces of fear hit. The faces of fear hit Rock with a double headbutt for a two count. While Ming has a Rocko Rock and a chin lock, you can see that Nick Patrick is having tons of issues with his pants since he went sans belt tonight. This was something they mentioned earlier, very briefly as well. Right. Now, the whole idea of Domino's Page taking his belt and Nick Patrick being the honorable man that he is. Not wearing a belt, so it doesn't happen again this week. <laughs> However, it's apparent Nick Patrick literally needs that belt. <laughs> because there are a few moments during this match in particular yeah. where I noted, like, he's pulling as he's pulling at his uh, pants again. Rocco Rock tries to rally back, but is caught with a knee to the gut that doubles him over. Johnny Grunge gets a hot tag in what might be the least inspiring hot tag you'll ever see. <laughs> He tries to give the faces of fear a meeting of the minds, but forgot he was wrestling hard-headed minorities. <laughs> <laughs> they double-team grunge. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, it happens. You gotta do your homework before matches. Oh boy! <laughs> they double-team grunge and try to double up on a back body drop, but Rocco Rock catches him from behind with a double bulldog instead. That was a great moment. Yeah, it was. I really liked that. Yeah, it was. It, it for one thing. 
because we I know you always like to point out good or bad bulldogs. Yeah, this was a good double bulldog. Yeah, and, and it was it was just set up so perfectly by them bent over for the double back body drop, mm-hmm. and that him that Johnny Grunge grabbing the rope to stop his own momentum, and then uh, Rock a Rock just kind of sneaking in from behind them. I just thought it was like. It was the best little moment that I've seen from Public Enemy. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and not only that, but the but the fact that like the camera kind of uh, was at an angle in which Rock Rock kind of showed up from nowhere, really played up to the fact that the faces of fear were caught off guard. Yeah. So yeah, I I I made a note that I that to me was the best part of this match. The Barbarian and Rock Rock brawl outside the ring while Ming fights Johnny Grunge. Rock is placed on a table outside as Jimmy Hart holds him down while Barbarian goes to the top turnbuckle. However, Rocko Rock moves in time and the Barbarian goes through the table himself. Uh, the Barbarian probably should have realized because Rocko Rock was clearly set up to move out of the way from yeah. the very start. So maybe jumping off was not a good idea. It It's an ugly crash through that table too because he's not a guy who goes through a lot of tables. Right. He's kind of doing it like shoulder first instead of like back it and then it's the concrete floor under the table it mm-hmm. looks bad and, and it's not even like directly in the middle of the table itself yeah. it's a little bit more towards like one of the like the legs and so it could have been a lot worse yeah. than what it was yeah um meanwhile rock rock slides a second table into the ring johnny grunge hits a swinging netbreaker on ming as rock rock sets up the table nick patrick giving some very stern words about the use of this table at this time um, he, he is, clear, he's like pointing and indicating that like, he probably shouldn't use this table, but is not doing anything else about it. Yeah. They place Ming on the table and Rocko Rock goes to the top, top rope and hits a moonsault through the table, which does not get a disqualification. Right. And I just wanted to point out that like when he goes up to the top rope for that moonsault, he looks way too far away for this move, but he nails it. Yeah. It's pretty, that's also pretty impressive. I agree. Rocco Rock rules. He He's is. just dragged down by Johnny Grunge. He and is. like a goofball gimmick that does not suit like his actual personality. Right. No, Rocco Rock is like, he's a, a legitimate athlete. And especially since I know that the first time we saw him that you were surprised of how old he is. Right. And it's something I just can't help but always think about. Like, this guy's like 45 or something like that at this point. Ming quickly returns to his feet, and all four are brawling in the ring, again, as no disqualification has been called whatsoever. I was kind of pointing out that I think Ming was going for, like, the no-sell of, like, of going through the table. But uh, either way, he gets up pretty quickly. Yeah, Bobby goes, tables mean nothing to them, (laughs) which I thought was a funny thing. Ming then gets the Tongan death grip on Johnny Grunge, and Nick Patrick calls for the bell. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see Johnny Grunge submit or anything like that, but perhaps he did. I think he just went unconscious. No, he's like, he's flailing the whole time. Oh, well, then I don't know. Um, I mean, we're still kind of in the time in which there's not, like, not everyone taps out. They'll just say they quit. Yeah. Um, But Nick Patrick goes for the bell so quickly, it's really, it's weird. Either way, it's like, they Mang and Barbarian win by tongue and death grip somehow. Um, during the replay of the in-ring table spot, Bobby Heenan calls Ming Haku by accident and then immediately goes silent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he, he realizes his fuck up right away and is like, I don't want to add to this. It just, it just breaks his brain instantly. <laughs> right. We look on. This is incredible. They got Haku off. He stretched out. Ming laid out. 
Now, there's nothing tonight as incriminating as Hog Wild. No, like, funny clips besides that one. But Bobby, to me, has seemed off all night a little bit. Mm-hmm. Something in his voice or something, and I almost wondered if he was hitting the sauce, like, a little bit. Sure. Not Hog Wild levels, but just a little bit or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, yeah, after he calls him Haku and then he's just completely flummoxed what to do, he just stops talking and Bischoff takes over. So now Bischoff has possibly been legitimately pissed off with Tanae. And now he seems like he's very angry at Bobby Heenan. Right. Uh, it's just a rough night for for the commentary desk. Mm-hmm. So Eric takes over calling the replays. And then we go to the full Dungeon of Doom, who are now in the ring, joined by Mean Gene Okerlund. Eric, I thank you very much. We're gathered here with the members of the Dungeon of Doom with all the turmoil we have seen thus far tonight. Involving the horsemen, the NWO guys are bailing right and left. Jimmy, Jimmy Hart, it's getting a little tough for me to even maneuver around this ring. I feel like I'm in the furniture business. You know me, Gene, I am tired of everybody being in my face all this week about me creating the giant. Now it looks like it's going to be up to us to try to destroy him. Giant, when you turned your back on the Dungeon of Doom and jumped over to the NWO, it was the beginning of the end for you. You just don't know it yet. You know, I think you kind of lost control, though, Jimmy Hart. Big Bubba, you've been complaining about various people lately. You know, there's more than the NWO trying to come into World Championship Wrestling. You know, they're backstabbing pieces of trash, and we all know that. I want to know about this Glacier character. For six or seven months, they've been saying he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Are you afraid? Are you trying to intimidate people? Because if you are, we are the masters of intimidation. Come and get a little bit of this, karate man. All right, I want to talk to everybody here very quickly. Conan, you've got a big one coming up on Sunday night, but yet this thing is upside down. I don't care about that. You know something, Holmes? That Taskmaster, just like Conan, is a hardened veterano, and he's seen the best gang wars and led the best gang wars from East Los to South Miami. And I'm going to tell you something, NWO. I'm tired of you guys paying for public service announcements and saturating your faces all over their airwaves week in and week out and making people believe you're something you're not, that you're tough. The toughest set here is the dungeon. I challenge you to come up into the ring right now. I challenge you, NWO. Thank you. Now, uh, I'll make it real clear, Mr. Oakland. You know, last week, Savage... You got carried out by the faces of fear of myself. And I know you're the kind of guy that thinks you owe us a debt. Well, if you want to clear this debt out, start tonight by getting rid of Tenta. But the big one at War Games, watch your back because you better get rid of the giant because there's all kinds of problems. You get rid of the giant and start with Tenta tonight, it's wiped clean. The other problem is. You can't trust anybody around here. If Stig would turn, who else would turn, Oakland? Huh? I don't Are they know. For hey, I don't know. I take a look at all of these signs out here. That looks to me Where like six they? fly that might yeah. be hanging in a men's Where room. Thank you very much, the Dungeon of Doom. They've got a lot of questions. So do I. Stay tuned. More Nitro Live here on TNT. What a night it's been. Unbelievable. Gene starts with Jimmy Hart, who says that he's tired of everyone blaming him for the creation of the Giant, uh, which is kind of weird because that's not at all what happened. The Giant was Andre's son, discovered by the Master and gifted to Kevin Sullivan to help destroy Hulkamania. At the time, Jimmy Hart was Hogan's manager. He did screw him later on, but he didn't Mm. create the Giant. That's never been the storyline. 
also, I feel like we should point out like what some of the guys in the ring are wearing. Oh, sure. Because, you know, let's yeah. Before we do that, mm-hmm. uh, it's important to note that two of the guys that we're about to talk about are new members of the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, we've got former Diamond Dallas Page henchman Max Muscle, mm-hmm. now just called Max, and Conan. Uh, and why why don't you tell the folks at home how Conan is dressed? Oh, I, I mean, I was kind of thinking more of the fact that like um, um, Kevin Sullivan and um, Hugh Morris are wearing Monday Nitro shirts. Yeah, uh, like uh, uh, cut to ribbons, like jazzer sized version of a Nitro t shirt. Yeah, but um, no, and Conan is kind of wearing what he is will be better known for wearing for a lot of his WCW career, which is like this plaid like jacket of sorts. He's basically like a Mexican gangster from the 90s, like a West Coast LA. Yeah. He's uh he's wearing like the Heisenberg Breaking Bad style hat. Mm-hmm. Uh he's got dark sunglasses and then he's got yeah, the black plaid flannel uh either shirt or jacket where like you do the thing where you button like the top button and you're wearing the white t-shirt under it. Yeah. Uh it's a little over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know uh, when these two joined the Dungeon of Doom. I assume it was covered on Saturday night. I mean, it had to have been in the last like week or so. Uh, yeah, I did. Like when I was watching, I felt like I was gonna be embarrassed because I was like, "Did he join?" And I forgot about that already. Yeah, no, we've. This is the very first we've seen about it. It's just they just show up with the dungeon on Nitro, and it just. Okay, that's I guess that's accepted. We just know that these two are in. The announcers never mentioned to us anything about it. I feel I feel like Max might have been involved with them before and then he disappeared for months. I don't know. I think I I maybe I should have gone back before this episode, but I think Max may have had some previous affiliation. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was injured, maybe he went to the power plant, whatever. He's in there. Conan though is 100% brand new to the Dungeon of Doom. It's a very weird fit. Uh, Kevin Sullivan was once interviewed by WWE.com about the members of the Dungeon of Doom. Kind of they just went through each and got like a soundbite from him on each. About Conan, he said, quote, he didn't fit in the Dungeon of Doom. He was forced into it. I think he was being punished in some way because we were the whipping boys because <laughs> they just jobbed to everybody all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it makes zero sense why Conan is suddenly like a Mexican gangster doesn't fit in a group with a leprechaun mm. and a satanic guy. Uh, Unless you're just like, it's the group of stereotypes. Yeah, I suppose. They're sort of the village people of, <laughs> of WCW. And also, uh, I wanted to note that Max Muscle seems like he's just really happy to be in the ring yeah. for once. And he's spending a lot of time like flexing yes, at the crowd. He really does quite a bit of flexing. <laughs> And not only that, but it just seems like he is in particular not paying attention to his own stables interview. And there's some moments where it looks like Bubba is getting kind of annoyed by him. Hart says the giant leaving the Dungeon of Doom to join the NWO was the beginning of the end for him. He just doesn't know it yet. Big Bubba takes an opportunity to talk a little more shit about Glacier. Uh, He (laughs) asks if Glacier is afraid or what? Like, is that why he hasn't debuted yet? Uh, I like that he called him derisively Karate Man. Like, that's a big insult. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, Karate Man. <laughs> Gene asks Conan about his match on Sunday, but Conan says that he doesn't care and instead talks about why he joined the dungeon. He just 
no sells the question about a pay-per-view <laughs> right. match. He's also doing an uncomfortably over-the-top Mexican accent. Yeah. Uh, he's, like, really pressing it now. He's not Mexican, keep in mind. He's Cuban. He was raised in Miami. Mm-hmm. He certainly has spent a lot of time in Mexico, but this accent is, like, not his real accent by any stretch of the imagination. Right. It's very weird. Uh, he says, apparently, uh, that Kevin Sullivan is a hardened... Uh, some Spanish phrase. I didn't. I don't know what it was, but a hardened something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he knows gang warfare. Conan. Uh, now that gangs are are in WCW with the NWO and everything, he just decided to join the toughest gang. Uh, I assume that he asked the NWO and they said no. Right. <laughs> so he the dun- then he asked the Horsemen and they right. said no. No. Then he asked High Voltage. <laughs> they said no. Then so then he, he was. Then he, then he asked the Blue Bloods. Yeah, State Patrols. <laughs> Men at work. The, he wanted to be an amazing French Canadian. <laughs> but finally he worked his way down, and in the Dungeon of Doom he is. High voltage. <laughs> They're like, no. We got, uh, we're good. We have standards here, pal. <laughs> Sullivan addresses Randy Savage, saying that he owes them from last week when Meng and the Barbarian helped him to the back, and he can make it up to them by taking care of John Tenta for them tonight, as, of course, Tenta had turned his back on the dungeon some weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He then tells Savage to take out the Giant at War Games. Uh, he means Fall Brawl, but he just like calls the event War Games. Yeah, close enough. He then warns Savage not to trust anyone. If Sting can turn, anyone can turn. And as far as I know, that's the first the crowd would have heard that Sting had turned. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> we go to commercial, and uh, the commercials include an NWO paid advertisement. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. The demise of the WCW. <laughs> First day. Easy. We're not here for a stinking reason, man. We got a boss with us. Ted DiBiase. This is the boss. Ted DiBiase has more money than Ted Turner. He makes Ted Turner look like a popper. Hey, this is his belt. We've already established who we are. I'm the world's champion, not the WCW world's champion. We've already established how powerful we are. Sure, we hit and we split. I'll be the man. We've taken on our best and there it is. Well, you guys back me up. We got your belt. New world order, world heavyweight championship belt. It's the rule of the street, right? You tag it, it's us. Hey, what about our fifth guy? I warned everybody, he did such a great job. Nobody believed, number one, who the fifth guy was when they signed. I said. Next week, he's coming. The NWO has shaken the WCW to its foundation. Oh, they're rattled. Whether you like it or you don't like it, the NWO's here to stay. Learn to love it. It wasn't like it was a big surprise. Change is inevitable. If you don't like that, you can stick. They want us so bad. They have agreed to this match. The question is just how bad do you want it? You know, this just didn't happen, man. They don't even know who they're going to face. Ted DiBiase, the master plan. It's been around for a long time. I've done this before, man. Stuck it to him. Right in the back. Feels good, doesn't it, guys? Doesn't it <laughs> Don't you good? think they would have saw it coming? <laughs> I mean, we're just now unloading on it, you know? It's a battle plan. You go in and you create confusion and chaos. They want us. In that cage. Well, what do we get? First of all, our own segment on their show. We don't pay for time. Then, we want our own 
Tag Team Tournament. NWO. We have our own segment. We highlight our talent. We beat you. You pay the bill. You know what I think? From now on, we're going to turn it like this, because it's NWO for life. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Hogan and company are behind a chain link fence. Hulkster says that Ted DiBiase makes Ted Turner look like a pauper. Hogan brags that he's the world's champion, not the WCW world's champion. I think he meant to say NWO the first time. Like, I'm the NWO world champion, not the WCW world champion. Yeah. But instead he just says, I'm the world champion. There's a lot of quick cuts and yelling, uh, very standard stuff. No, there's not a lot of memorable lines in this one, so I'm not just going to recap every mm. little thing that every guy says. Uh, they talk about the shock of the fifth guy, but they're so vague about it that it's clear that they shot this like before, <laughs> right. or they just didn't want it getting out, so they don't get specific at all. They're just like, mm. how about that fifth guy? Boy, I was surprised by that fifth guy. <laughs> Did he surprise you? Did he or she surprise <laughs> yeah. you with his or her turn? DiBiase lays out the NWO's demands should they win war games. Yeah, let's go over these demands, shall we? Uh, they want their own segment on Nitro, mm -hmm. and they want their own tag team tournament. Yeah. Now, those are very realistic demands. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> sure, I, I don't see why not to either of those. I I felt like, were they trying to indicate that they want a tag team tournament for, like, NWO tag team titles, or... That's certainly a way that Meltzer took it. I know mm -hmm. he says that they, because he says they wanted their own NWO tag team titles. So that's not really clear. I, I don't know. Right. Um, the segment part makes sense because right now these guys are unsanctioned. Like every match they're getting, they're just goading WCW into it sort of. Yeah. So to get their own matches on Nitro every week, they kind of have to have some sort of legal or whatever reason why mm -hmm. they get it. So I guess that makes sense for the segment. I don't know what this tag team tournament's supposed to be. Right. I don't think it even ends up happening, but we'll have to see <laughs> right. as we continue. <laughs> yeah, when I was – I was, because I, I typically read, like, a, a recap of right. the shows before I go get into them. Yeah. And I'm like, tag team tournament? What is this? Yeah. Um. I also – the only thing I really – the only other thing I really caught from this segment was that they had like the uh, a microphone with the NWO logo on it. Oh, I missed that. Which That's I thought cool. was like a nice little touch. And I and I I like this because we we started focusing more on this whole idea that like with Ted DiBiase comes the money. Yeah. And that's like why oh now they were able to get like the chain link fence. They're able to have like their own microphone and and like T DiBiase will probably buy like these really nice looking titles for the NWO Tay team tournament and all that. Even though obviously all the other guys in there are like big stars and are really rich. Yeah. But like DiBiase is known for being the rich guy. So right. I, I just like the fact that like they kept talking about the, f that DiBiase brings the money with him. And that's like, that's why they had two limos instead of one tonight. Scott Hall ends the, the package by holding up the horseman sim signal and saying that he's going to turn it because now it's NWO for life. So the four and the four horsemen becomes the four and four life. Mm -hmm. And then he turns it sideways, makes a little L with his hand. Uh, so I think, you know, if you're familiar with the NWO, that kind of group, everyone knows that that that's like second to the two sweet. Yeah, I think with like things they like to do with their hands. Yeah. So I I feel like that was the first time they've done the. That for life? Certainly that we've seen, yes. Yeah. Back we go to the broadcast team who hype war games and talk about the shocking betrayal earlier by Sting. 
Out comes John Tenta for his main event match against <laughs> Randy Savage that is happening for reasons beyond imagination. Yeah, and I feel like John Tenta came out to Chris Jericho's music. Oh, I wasn't even, I didn't catch that. Could be true. Yeah. Uh, the rationale for the match stated by Tanay is that Tenta is roughly the same in weight uh, as the Giant, so this is going to help Randy prepare right. for his pay-per-view match. So I guess they tried to give us some reason. <laughs> uh, Tenta now has music. It may be Jericho's music, as you said, and he's got a full mas- mustache again. He's not doing the half-shaving thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has made the decision to grow out his hair. He's not shaving it, like I said, uh, but he has bizarrely decided not to cut the rest of his hair to be the same length so he still has half a mullet and half like regular short hair i why on earth he would do it like that is just baffling (laughs) it's so strange uh but that's what he's doing it's like just it just seems like that they're always doing stuff to see if john tenta will do it or not (laughs) and he's just he's just such a good sport he seems like a really nice guy i could see him be like okay yeah Randy Macho Man Savage comes out next and spins to his pyro and high-fives the crowd. He tosses his glasses, jacket, and hat in the aisle and sprints down to the ring. By the way, this is something where you should just go and see it, but this outfit he has is fucking awesome. It's I like don't this, remember this specific one. It's like a, a purple and black with like gold trim. Oh, and yeah. And it looks so great. Um, he has so much gear. It feels like he's in something different almost every week. Yeah, and because I usually like to note the fact when the, it, all, it all coordinates with itself because sometimes it seems like he just like grabs one of each. Yeah. Whether they match or not. But this all coordinates. And it's like, I don't know. There's something about the scheme or something like that. I'm like, this looks great. So you should check out this episode just for that. Tenta catches Savage with a boot and clubbering blows to the back as Macho Man enters the ring. He throws Randy to the corner and does the Lesnar shoulder charges and then the Lesnar knee lifts. And suddenly I know where Brock got his offense. (laughs) He was just watching John Tenta matches. He's like, I want to be like that guy. Macho fights his way back into the ring with punches as Eric quickly gets out a little legal clarification. While we have the opportunity, I want to make one clarification here earlier on. uh, Our broadcast partner, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Bobby, I understand how it happens. We first... Referred to Ming as Haku, the name that Ming wrestled under while he worked with the WWE a long time. And the cover here, the Macho Man in trouble. Ming is definitely under contract with WCW and no longer associated with any other wrestling organization. To avoid any confusion. That Bobby earlier referred to Meng as Haku, his old WWF name, but Meng is definitely under contract to WCW and not involved with any other wrestling organization. So there's a little cover your ass kind of thing there. I felt like he was saying that just to be a dick. No, I I think he, because the lawsuit is still ongoing, Mm -hmm. uh, I think he had to, because that's something that, you know, with the, when they had Hall and Nash on and asked them, are you under contract with the WWF? Yeah. You know, I think that's the thing that they have to be very clear to specify. So I don't think he was. And he even said something about Bobby. And he says something about, like, understandably or something. He he says something that's like, that, hey, that, we all make mistakes, you know, kind of thing. Or, like, that he's flummoxed because of the sting betrayal. Maybe right. he made a mistake or whatever. Yeah. So, so I, I kind of thought, like, he's covering his ass and he, he tried to be as nice to Bobby as he could when he did it. I thought. All right. Fair enough. As Bischoff makes his clarification, Savage tries to scoop slam Tenta, but the weight is too much and he falls with Tenta on top of him for a two count. 
Tenta gets some good height for a drop kick, but unfortunately it does not come anywhere close to connecting. Mm. But Randy sells and rolls out of the ring anyway, where he then grabs a chair and just levels Tenta with it. He does it again as Randy Anderson watches and presumably disqualifies him, although there's no bell or anything that I noticed. There's, I mean, there's no other official end of this match. That's just kind of what happens. Yeah. Tenta runs back into the ring, so Randy joins him and comes off the top with a double sledge that takes the big man down. He then does a macho elbow for a big pop and goes up for another as Teddy Long runs out and Acid Savage comes with him to the back. Shades of earlier. Hmm. Macho Man follows as Long is saying that the NWO are back. The crowd boo as Savage runs off because they're sick of seeing guys just <laughs> run off and then 10 minute angles happen with that they can't see. Fair enough. Randy runs down a hall and arrives in the parking lot. There is a limo, but it takes off as Randy approaches. Flair and Mongo are there too. Long points to a second limo and they run over to it. Other WCW guys show up, but the limo is empty other than a cardboard box full of cans of yellow spray paint. Uh, earlier, that's what I thought were the tennis ball cans. <laughs> Finally, I figured out what it was. <laughs> Uh, and Lex tilted the Lex like earlier took that same box and tilted them all over the street. Mm-hmm. So somebody had to like collect them, put them back in the box, and put them in the limo for them to be there for this end segment. Well, no, I'm pretty sure Macho Man pulls out an empty cardboard box. Oh, and that, no, there was at least one can in there though, and then everyone else had cans. Yeah, I don't know. I somehow everyone produces yellow spray paint cans. Right. <laughs> Let's go with that. Because then the WCW guys try to spray paint the limo. But it is totally wet from rain earlier, mm-hmm. <laughs> so the spray paint barely works, right. and they look like such dorks yeah. celebrating that they're like totally owning the NWO when right. really nothing they're doing is effective at all. Back in the arena, the fans are doing a little bit of booing and some chanting. Heenan says by being upset and despondent over Sting leaving WCW, they're playing right into the NWO's hands. Instead, the remaining WCW faithful should band together. Tanae says there's no doubt that the NWO has been winning the battles, but WCW has to win the war. War games, that is. Ah. (laughs) Eric plans to address the critics of WCW, but Arn Anderson shows up. Well, I want to say one thing right now to the people who have been the critics of WCW, my critics, that Arn, I want to say something. I'm not here to step on anybody's toes. I think the world's in shock. The world's outraged. But there's nobody hotter than the horseman. You see, this thing all began about 10 years ago with Flair, Anderson, Ole Anderson, and Tully Blanchard. And we paved the way, and we showed you how, Hogan. And it just occurred to me, as that gravel was flinging out back, what you want to be when you grow up. You want to be a horseman, but you just don't know how. So you're going to surround yourself with every cutthroat and every thug you can find. And now you even took Stinger away from WCW, the thing I thought would never happen. Flair even said the one constant in this life whether you believe in Stinger or not, but the one thing you can count on is Stinger. Well, we can count on this, Stinger. You crawl in as the fourth man like we know you're going to at War Games. We're going to take your head off. My word to God on that one. I want to say one thing before we turn it over here. I may have made mistakes. WCW may have made mistakes. And maybe 
We didn't count on Ric Flair. Are you going to let me talk? Huh? You going to let me talk? You can do whatever what do you, you want to do at this point. What do you got the horseman locked up back there for? We need to be out here. Hogan, you haul Nash NWO slash Sting. It makes no difference. We're going to war games. You know what war games is? That's eight guys in a cage, eight guys ready to bleed, sweat, and pay the price. At Sunday night, Hogan, Hollywood, Hulk Hogan, you don't have a chance to walk that long. As I said, maybe it was you a mistake. Hogan, Winston Salem, North Carolina, you will not leave town alive. Got it? Maybe it was a mistake bringing Hulk Hogan to WCW. I guess at this point we can't deny that. And maybe we haven't given the four horsemen their just due. But believe you me, they're going to get their shot this Sunday at War Games. We'll see you next week. Arn gets Bobby's headset and says that the world is shocked and outraged, but nobody is madder than the horsemen. He then goes back to the founding of the group and says that Hogan has always wanted to be a horseman, but he didn't know how, so he's surrounding himself with every cutthroat and thug he can find. Eric tries to go back to what he wanted to say earlier about his critics, uh, but he gets two sentences in before Flair just starts yelling, Are you going to let me talk? (laughs) (laughs) Flair is hot and promises on Sunday night eight men will give all they got. With impeccable comedic timing, Flair walks off and Bischoff again tries to speak, but as soon as he does, Flair walks right back up and grabs a mic and starts talking again. <laughs> he just rips Hogan some more and warns Hulk that he will not be leaving Winston-Salem alive. Bischoff finally gets to say what he wanted, uh, admitting that Hulk Hogan, admitting that bringing Hulk to WCW might have been a mistake, and that maybe he hasn't given the Horsemen their proper due, but the Horsemen will finally have their chance at War Games. The show closes on a full replay of Sting's betrayal from earlier. Whew. So this was a, uh, well, I want to say a big episode with a lot going on, but really it was, there was just one big thing going on. Yeah. Uh, just a huge angle taking place in the middle of the show. Um, the rest just kind of fell around it, like a lot of very short matches. Mm-hmm. Most of them were not very good. Um, but because that one angle was so impactful and they sold it for the second half of the show, uh, I'm going to say overall this was a good episode. I, I didn't feel particularly bored watching it, um, and I think it built the pay-per-view well. What do you what do you kind of think of this overall as an episode of a, of a TV show? I, I, I was not a big fan of this sure. episode in particular. I mean, it does have a really big angle, um, but that was to the detriment of the rest of the show. Um, way, way too much time cutting away from matches or having really short matches. Like Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman should get more than like a minute and 50 seconds right. or whatever it was. And uh, and just putting such low value on the in-ring action, like cutting away from the faces of fear and public enemy to the point at which you can't even hear what's going on. It just, it seemed like it was a week in which they, they had all this planned out for this big angle and everything else just kind of had to play around it. Right. Um, which just as a viewer would make me kind of like get disinterested in the in in ring action pretty quickly going back and looking at the way that this, uh, the, 
the sting angle played out. Um, I was surprised of how convinced I was. Sure. That it was the that it was actually Sting. Now, one thing that I do think is funny about it is uh, now keep in mind that the wrestlers didn't hear the voice, right? That was only like us at home and the announcers. Okay. So I think it's funny that like Lex and the Horsemen are so convinced that this was the real Sting. Like, it never enters their mind for a second that maybe the NWO is pulling a fast one, which is especially funny because the Horsemen did that exact thing themselves. In 1990, at Halloween Havoc, they had a fake Sting. Oh, sure. They had uh, Barry Windham, you know, come out with Sting makeup and stuff, and he let Sid Vicious pin him to try to, like, make Sting lose his world title. (laughs) Uh, But then the real Sting came out, blah, blah, blah. But it's like the Horsemen have masterminded their own fake Sting angle within the last six years. And it was just, they could not even for a second think like, well, did they just slap face paint on a different guy? Like no one. And I understand because the second they introduced that idea, then the fans at home go, oh, it wasn't, I get it. Yeah. You know, so you almost can't have anyone do that. Mm -hmm. But in retrospect, it just makes them look a little silly that they're all just like, yeah, that was definitely Sting. No doubt about it. Like, let's Mm -hmm. not doubt that even for a second. You know, it's just, it's kind of funny. Uh, from the Wrestling Observer, this is a quote, the live fans were furious, booing heavily after the show because they didn't know about the angles in the parking lot, and all they saw were guys walking out in the middle of matches. All this was not lost on WCW, as they are going to buy a video wall and bring it to all the Nitros starting in January. They are also going back to Columbus, Georgia for a show in December, and are only going to charge $5 a head for tickets as a way to make it up to the fans in the city. So WCW realized that they had screwed up, screwed these fans. Right. Uh, clearly, someone in the office, um, and it's long been thought that that Bischoff had you know some subordinate that was allowed to leak things to Meltzer. Mm-hmm. Someone's talking to him because they want to like make sure that fans know that they feel bad about screwing up, so they're right. leaking to him that they're going to put in a video wall and all that stuff. Yeah, and um, and the whole idea of like how they didn't, how come they didn't have like these dark matches during these segments? Yeah, it's just. They just didn't know how to plan this sort of thing. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, a lot of these people are not really television people. Right. So they, they just did not take into consideration something like that, which I I legitimately think is really bizarre because it's like you're in this arena. What's going on in the arena during this time? Right. It seems like someone would have brought that up, but apparently not. So, but uh, no, it's good that, that the, the mistakes that they learned from this episode, it sounds like they're going to learn from them and they're going to make some changes pretty quickly. Uh, Some of the reason the crowd was irate is that Sting, Hogan, Nash, and Hall had all been advertised as wrestling on the show, and yet none of those guys appeared even inside the building. Right. So I can see where people would be a little mad. And not only that, they're just outside the building. (laughs) Yeah, they're so close. (laughs) They're so close. In our Raw recap, the tournament for the Intercontinental Championship continues as Farouk won over Savio Vega. Uh, elsewhere, the Stalker defeated T.L. Hopper. Oh, speaking of Barry Windham. Yeah, speaking of... <laughs> now, are they going to do a fake Stalker angle? Ah. Uh, Crush defeated Freddy Joe Floyd, and The Undertaker defeated Salvatore Sincere. Hmm. After last Friday's announcement by Jim Ross that Razor Ramon and Diesel were negotiating to return to the WWF... Uh, they did very good business on their hotline over the weekend, although there was not much information other than JR repeating his claim. Now, earlier this afternoon, meaning, you know, September 9th, Monday, mm-hmm. September 9th, 
Uh, a post written by Vince McMahon or perhaps a ghostwriter went up on AOL saying that Ross would be forced to apologize and essentially uh, the post claimed that there was no truth to it, making it seem like the angle had been completely dropped. But then on Raw that night, Ross said that he apologized only because his comments could upset the delicate negotiations that were happening with Ramon. But he was standing by his story and claimed that negotiations with Diesel were going very strong. Meltzer reported that Nash and Hall knew absolutely nothing of the angle and do not have any loophole in their contracts that would allow them to return to the WWF until their deals run out in two years. Meltzer reports it as common knowledge within the wrestling community that the payoff to this angle will be to reintroduce the characters of Razor and Diesel, but they will now be portrayed by Rick Bogner and Glenn Jacobs, respectively. Bogner, in fact, was hired specifically for his impression of Scott Hall's portrayal of the character, as he'd done it once backstage in w- as he'd done it once backstage in ECW for Paul E. and Shane Douglas, who encouraged him to do it in front of the live crowd, which he did under the name Slice and Dice Ramirez. Yes, <laughs> isn't that great? Man, they should just br- that they should just call them Slice and Dice Ramirez. I agree. Oh man, a WWF official happened to be scouting that ECW event, which led to Bogner being brought in for this angle. He was reluctant to go along with it because he had a strong feeling that it would flop and kill his career ambitions, but he decided that the chance to get in, uh, you know, somewhere in the Fed was just too good to pass up. That is that is such a tragic tale because he's obviously right. Yeah. And and in his position, how could he say no? Yeah. It's it's really between a rock and a hard place. I feel bad for the guy. Uh Meltzer notes that most including himself think that if this is indeed the direction the storyline is going, it will fail, and the heat will be put on JR. According to James Dixon's book on the WWF 1996, uh, Titan Falling, Titan Sinking, something like that, nobody in the company except for Vince has much faith in the angle, but of course no one will say anything to him. Jim Cornette has claimed that the entire idea was hatched over a two-day period where he had left Vince McMahon with Bruce Prichard. Like... He said that they were writing TV and everything was fine, and then he left for a couple days, <laughs> and he came back and found out they were planning this stupid horse crap angle. Yeah. Uh, Cornette's job was to watch Diesel tapes and collect all of his offense so that they could then teach it to Glenn Jacobs. Uh, he tells kind of a funny story here about um, figuring out that Nash only has five moves, and one of them is a hair flip. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's uh there's three books. They are Titan Sinking, Titan Shattered, and Titan Screwed. Okay. And the I, Titan Screwed is 97 cuz right. that's the screw job one. So we're probably talking about Titan Shattered. I think that's correct. Yeah, I think that's the 1996 one. Now, WCW is pretty much legally unable to respond to the claim that Diesel and Razor are returning as any acknowledgement of Hall and Nash as Ramon or Diesel would play into the WWF's hands. Uh, in the big lawsuit, that would be a tacit admission that they were having Hall and Nash portray those same characters. Mm. So WWF is free to just say that Diesel and R- Razor are coming back, and WCW can't do like anything about it because they, you know, it could have a big impact on their lawsuit. Right. Now, I do want to lastly touch on a claim out there uh, that it may have started with Kevin Nash. I'm not sure exactly where this came, but I've heard this a few times throughout the years that at that point in history. Hall and Nash weren't actually working on a signed contract with WCW, only a deal memo, which is essentially where you say, like, you've got the broad outlines of a contract worked out, you don't have the specifics yet, so you sign this memo that says, like, we're agreeing to this contract, the details haven't been completed yet, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not necessarily completely legally binding. So Nash says that due to this angle in the WWF, him and Hall were immediately presented with finished final versions of their contracts. Like, oh, we hear you're going back to the WWF. Here's a contract. Right. And that had both had been given a $200,000 raise over the original co- agreement mm-hmm. over fears that they were about to jump back to the WWF. Eric Bischoff has said that's ridiculous. There's no way that they gave them an extra $200,000 right. because of an angle in the WWF. Yeah. Now, while it is a hilarious story to think about, uh, WCW payroll information is publicly available thanks to being as introduced as evidence in a racial discrimination lawsuit that's years down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can actually look up what guys like Hall and Nash made in 1996. They both made around $350,000 in 1996. Uh, Bischoff has elsewhere claimed on his podcast and places that they were signed for around 500000 And if you prorated that for the amount of time that they were actually in WCW 96, 350000 is like the correct number. So you can actually just, oh, sure. you can yep. just do math and be like, no, they did not get a $200,000 bonus because people were afraid they were jumping back. Right. Uh, so that story, as as funny as I find it, is pretty demonstrably false. Yeah. In our ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 2.4, and Nitro beat them solidly with a 3.7. They were at a 4.2 until that sting angle saw them drop all the way to a 3.2. So that's why they got the aggregate 3.7. So they're still clearly beating the pants off Raw. Yeah. And a 2.4 for Raw is average, so it's not like they picked up all those viewers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's kind of interesting to see that Nitro... Um, sort of shot themselves in the foot at least for one week, but they still won. And coming off the pay-per-view, I think there's a lot of room for them to get those viewers back. Yeah. I, I'm not really afraid for the long-term health of their ratings, that's for sure. Right. And and I think for the long-term, with however the uh, with the sting angle, that the short-term pro- didn't work out, but I think it would be something where it's like, we'll, f- we'll see the benefit of it later on. Right. Well, that brings us to a little segment called Observe This. Observe this, brother! This is what we call a rag sheep. sheep. New Japan had been planning a big Tokyo Dome show in October, but decided to cancel it. Uh, There's a variety of reasons, but it is pretty big news because that's like, in 1996, that's the equivalent of WWF scheduling a surprise second WrestleMania in the fall yeah. and then just canceling it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Dave talks a little bit about that. The final episode of WWF Superstars, the wrestling show of my childhood, mm-hmm. uh, is going to air this weekend. It's just a highlight package of uh, things that have happened on Superstars over the years. I know they've since brought it back in different in, uh, incarnations, but the original syndicated show mm-hmm. died back in 1996. The American Wrestling Federation is holding a press conference this week to promote the return of their syndicated show, Warriors of Wrestling. This Chicago-based promotion is in 45 of the top 50 markets in the United States. They've been around since 1994, and their champion is Tito Santana. And I really only mention them because I'd never heard of them before reading about (laughs) them in The Observer. 50 of the top markets, they were on the 90s. Never heard of them. Have you ever heard of the American Wrestling Federation? Not until right now. Scott Hall and Scott Steiner were both scheduled to be a part of a big show. Uh, were both scheduled to be a tour of New Japan, but both canceled. Uh, Scott Steiner because of his hip injury, and Hall because he was booked for the tour by WCW, 
But his contract says that he's allowed to make his own deals directly with New Japan. Uh, so he just didn't like that they booked him for that. He wanted to negotiate his own. Mm-hmm. You know, you can remember when we talked about his contract negotiations, that was something he'd asked Vince for and been denied. Yeah. So I think he just wants to make sure that, you know, he had got that ag- agreement from them uh, and he doesn't want to give it up. Also off that tour is the great Sasuke, who we mentioned uh, before on the show as having fractured his skull in a match against Ultimo Dragon in the tournament finals for the eight-belt J-Crown title. Uh, The J-Crown has been officially vacated and will now go to the winner of a September 23rd match between former WCW Cruiserweight champion Shinjiro Otani and El Samurai, with the winner facing Dragon on October 11th. WCW talents still on that Japan tour include Benoit, Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, so that's going to impact Nitro in a couple of weeks. So that's why I wanted to make sure to mention that a lot of WCW guys are going to be over in Japan okay. for a little bit. Sure. In Memphis news, Luna Vachon is now doing a gimmick where she bites people in the neck. Well, they say that she's biting their carteroid artery and it acts like a sleeper hold. It puts them to sleep. But Meltzer notes that it just looks like she's giving guys a hickey and then they pass out. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it works. <laughs> Sean Waltman has been officially granted his release and is finally legally available to appear for WCW. Okay. So we'll see where that goes. Meltzer says that Mark Henry is getting some heat from crowds about being called the world's strongest man when everyone knows that he did poorly in the Olympics, but that is not even close to the amount of heat he has with the boys in the back over his guaranteed contract. Ooh. Meltzer also reports that there is lots of turmoil backstage over the angle from last week's Nitro and the way that the horsemen were portrayed. Flair has once again started talking about taking time off after his contract expires in November, and Mongo has been making it known that he's unhappy. Guys are mad that Hogan and his friends won't let anybody but themselves get over, which they don't need to because they're already over and don't need the constant rubs. But Dave says that with high ratings and Hogan signed through 1998, nobody should be expecting anything to change. Right. Uh, lastly, the last note from the Observer is that uh, Dave says that the reason Mark Curtis was brought in to uh, the WCW was to replace Randy Eller, who was fired. Uh, I don't know why, but hmm. happy trails to Randy Eller. I guess we will not be seeing him again as far as I know, but uh, maybe he can surprise us. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're both white dudes with the same color hair and mustaches. Yeah. And it, like every WCW referee is almost interchangeable physically. Yeah. Uh, I think Jason Jett is, that, that's, is like the one guy who is clean shaven. And Patrick, I think. I can't even picture if Nick Patrick has a mustache or not. He has a goatee. Yes, that's it. Thank you. All right. So that only leaves us with one thing, and that's going to be our segment of the night and our MVP. Uh, Dave, let's start with MVP. Who is your MVP of the show? I am going to give my MVP to... The wrestler formerly known as Cobra. Okay. What something farmer, Steve? Jeff. Jeff. Jeff Farmer. Yeah. Um, I because I know in the future it does not come off as very convincing, but tonight he seemed very convincing in his portrayal of Sting, and and overall I thought that segment really like played out pretty yeah. well, pretty convincing. Um, so I'm going to give mine to him. I'm going to go ahead and give mine to Lex Luger. Uh, He did pretty good in promos several times throughout the night. Promos have never been Lex's strong suit. Mm -hmm. But I think in each of the segments where he had to talk tonight, he did a good job. Uh, I think he sold the beating well from the NWO. 
Uh, I liked that he got his one moment in on the chauffeur yes. uh, to try to like establish <laughs> a little bit that he's not like just a weakling or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I thought Lex was good throughout the show. It wasn't necessarily a brilliant performance, but no one else on the show was really standing out all that much. Right. Uh, for my segment of the night, I'm going to have to go with the angle that was the focus of the entire show. Uh, that would be, of course, the Sting beatdown. Um, the Sting turn, if we want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be my segment of the night. What about you? I'm going to go ahead and I'll agree with you on that. Uh, like we have said, um, at least for the night, it, it seems like it was pulled off really well. And it adds a, a lot of extra intrigue to Fall Brawl War Games, which is coming up this Sunday. All right, yeah, well, so that is uh, going to be our next episode, Fall Brawl. We're excited to bring that to you. Uh, I'm, we're going to do it a little bit differently. I'm not exactly 100% sure how it's going to look. Um, I'm thinking the first four matches on the show, kind of the undercard, we're just going to breeze through them pretty quickly and just tell you about mm-hmm. what happened without calling them move for move like we normally do. Uh, but then everything with like a big angle involved in kind of the main event scene or longstanding storylines uh, will give the full treatment. So uh, it'll be you know, we're just trying to make sure that we a it doesn't take us weeks and weeks to prepare a single episode right. so that we can get you episodes a little more regularly. But b um, you know we started off when we first started the show we said we were only going to do the nitros. The pay reviews have become so integral that we want to cover them. Mm-hmm. Um, but just doing like a four-hour podcast episode cover it. I mean, that would be another, that'd be a completely separate podcast just doing the pay-per-views and doing the amount of work that we do. So right. trying to find a way to balance them out. Of course, like real big shows, your Starcades and stuff like that, we'll still try to uh, cover as in-depth as we can. So we're definitely going to have a Fall Brawl episode, um, and I'm looking forward to putting that together because it's a show with a lot going on. And they've really, I feel like this is one of the best um, – I mean, really, they're on they're on three in a row now, but they've done a much better job of building their pay per views yeah. than they had been when we started this podcast. So uh, they finally get to the point where when we get to pay per view episodes, I'm really looking forward to them instead of like, oh right, there's a pay per view coming up. Yeah. Uh, so we will see you right here next time where the big boys play. Twenty years of Nitro. The missing ingredient in World Championship Wrestling has been a lack of leadership, never more evident at this point by the defection of Sting to the New World Well, that takes a lot of guts for you tonight. You're a relative newcomer here, and it's interesting for you to come out and all of a sudden criticizing leadership in WCW. Well, look at it. They're picking us apart piece by piece. 